Welcome to Rogue Bows. This is episode 32 of the Basketball Podcast. And what a few weeks it has been, and specifically a week since we've done our last podcast. But a lot going on, a lot to get through, some really good things from this side of Australian basketball to discuss. And I'm sure my friend Pro over in Dallas has been watching. No doubt. It's been a it's been an unbelievable couple of weeks, man. It's been fun. It's been really fun. Yeah, I mean, just um, the emotion of last night. I, I obviously commentated the all the games for the Australian Boomers. Um, so I saw the mainly the ups, one down against the US, but we'll get to them shortly. But obviously, US credit to them, um, gold medalists again, and they. It seemed to me, I don't know if you caught all their games, pro, but it seemed like they somewhat. They didn't, have, they didn't play the best style of basketball, very one-on-one driven and orientated, but it, it got them a win, so that that's irrelevant now. But it seemed like they were surging upwards throughout every game, it felt like. Besides, the, after that France loss, which was the first game, their first quarters weren't great, their second quarters were a little better, and then their third and fourths just continued to, to kind of get better, and then they just you know, put the foot to the throat um, against most teams they played in that third quarter. And um, it really, it almost felt like they were figuring it out on the fly. Um, I'm not sure how you feel about it, but I, I noticed throughout most of the games, they, they, they were better in that third and fourth, you know, significantly. It almost They almost sleepwalked at times through the first quarter, then kind of fought back a little bit in the second and then bang, you know, they got a 20-point lead at three-quarter time. Yeah, I, I noticed sort of the same thing. I, I think a couple of things. I think that, A, sometimes players – I'm not sure. Maybe it's just my feeling. Sometimes players when their backs against the wall a little bit and they sense that some teams are sort of making a run on them or even, you know, in the, in the, in the semifinals of Australia, like when you're down 15 and now your backs against the wall, because I'll tell you what, three or four more possessions in that game could have went much different if in the, in the second quarter, if, you know, Australia got a couple of bounces or a couple more shots. And I think that, like getting your back against the wall is a wake up call. And, you know, for some, you don't even want to wait to that moment. And the second thing is, I think the more they played with each other, I think that they got a little bit better. And like you said, they've always had those lapses in most of the games they played, especially in the later games. But I think that the more they played, they sort of got a little more familiar. They started playing a little bit better at, at times, especially defensively. And when they got that second unit in the game where most international teams can't really match that, you know, you might be able to punch them in the face on their starting five. But then when you go to your bench and they go to their bench, it's, compl- you know, it's a lot different with the talent. And I think they started playing a little better because I think they sort of felt it like they were sleepwalking through games early on with the losses, you know, to the teams they lost to, and you know, with France and, and, and the close games and things. And I think that like it sort of woke in, they woke them up a little bit about especially defensively swallowing people up when they need to and then offensively moving the ball just a little bit better. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it, and it was just it was just noticeable to me. But look, this this all starts and ends with Kevin Durant. I think um, you know, they they're, they're a tough team regardless, but he just uh, there were possessions throughout all their games where their offense and they had an offensive set that was just horrible. It was clunky. They didn't move the ball, and they just throw it to Kevin anywhere on the floor, and, and he just makes such a tough shot, and and a shot that you know when in the Australia game, uh, Nick Kay's guarding him on the T side ball, and 
he just rises up and, and knocks down a what's considered at times a bad shot, a long two or a pull up two or a, or a short eight, eight footer, and um, it just it kind of it demoralizes you in a way when you're such a good defensive team and they've just got Kevin Durant at the other end, and, and it's just like you've had a possession that was 18 seconds of of perfection, and then he just rises up and hits a big three in your eye or a, or a big jumper or gets fouled. Or I think he was it's obvious he was the guy for them, and everyone knows that. But I mean, I would almost argue I, I don't know if they're there at the end without him um, you know and, and that you, get, you only play what's in front of you and I'm not taking any, anything away from the other guys which I'll get to, get into a little bit in a second but he's just he's uh, he's going to go down to me anyway as, as the best scorer a pure scorer of all time I've said this a million times on the pod I said it on air when I was commentating just the vast kind of uh, you, you know the, the majority not the majority I'd say but just he has so much to his game. It's 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 just he can post, he can go high post, he can elbow, he can, he can go off pick and rolls, he can pull up in transition, he can get to the rim and dunk on you. He's a great finisher around the basket, and he shoots free throws at a, at a high percentage. It's just um, it's it's actually as hard as you know it is seeing Australia lose. He's a pleasure to watch, and he cops a lot of shit for you know the way he goes about it at times and super teams and all that crap. But he's he, I feel like because of that, he doesn't get as much credit as he should. He, he's going to go down. I think he's going to go down as the best scorer of all time. Pure, pure scorer. Folks, you know what? You've been saying that since the beginning of the podcast. And at times, you, you always want to reference back to Jordan and, you know, scorers like that. And, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Chamberlain, um, Kobe. And, and you start thinking Durant. And I think this next last couple of weeks, it just sort of – it's just it's a great example of why he you are correct and i think he will go down in history as the best scorer of all time because again jordan wasn't seven feet or 611 like like he likes to be called he wasn't 611 and can't get the couldn't get the shots that this guy can get off at any time it's very rare that you see him get blocked or you know you think that he's so skinny and can't get by guys but he accelerates gets to his kill spots and gets to any offensive arsenal that he wants to get to he could post you up the elbow three take you off pick and roll fadeaways i mean he's you know euro steps he's he is he is phenomenal to watch and he's a competitor man and he's a he's a great player to watch man uh i have him number one in the league you know because of his age and where he is in his career now i've had that probably the last few months and i, I think that the kid is you know he's a special talent and it, it was great to watch. And you're right. I don't think they. I don't think they get to where they got to. I think they would have lost games. I don't think they would have been in. You know. I don't think they would have won the gold medal. They may not even been in the medal round if it wasn't for him, because he bailed them out of a lot of tough spots. I mean, think about the emotions of that Australia game. You know where Australia was up 15, and then he just took them on their back. He took the whole team on his back, and he basically got them out of that rut. And yeah, Jason Tatum and Holiday and some other guys sort of chipped in. But when the hard, when it was like looking really bad, this guy didn't look to his left. He didn't look to his right. He put him right on his shoulders and he, and he just put his head down and just made shot and shot and play and play. Look at the block he had on Lawndale, like, you know, the block dunk. I mean, the guy, he gives it his all on both ends of the floor. He competes. I mean, he's he, he was fun to watch. I don't think that look Tatum played well, you know, in the in the gold medal game. He had his spurts, you know, and some other guys sort of chipped in when they need to. Bam was a was a great, you know, was a great resource for him as far as a defensive stopper, run the floor, made some shots. But no one 
could take the team in the back like this guy can and, and just sort of get them to where they needed to get to. Yeah, and let's not forget off an Achilles injury, which is even more amazing. But yeah, the word I was looking for, I had a bit of a, a mind boggle uh, a second ago, was just the versatility in, in, in which he can score. Now, um, I agree with you that there, you know, there are some other scorers you can put at the same the same line or same level as KD, but my point would be the versatility. Like you can't throw Kareem the ball at the three-point line. MJ wasn't, you know, he, he could shoot the odd three and get hot, but he, that wasn't his game where KD can go eight for nine um, on a regular basis at times. And, and that's more my point. You can post, you can elbow, you can, there's just so much to his, so many strings to his bow. And, and that's why I think it's very, very impressive with the way he's gone. The other guy I thought, you know, and I mentioned this as well. I think I'm, I'm smack bang right. I'm going to pat myself on the back. Drew Holiday, he was a defining factor for them because he was one of the few guys that didn't really need the ball in his hands for long periods. He was happy to swing, swing. You could see that he was out there trying to get the ball through hands whenever he was out there, right? And at times, he took some some shots that he had to take um, within the offense, but he understood, I've got Kevin Durant, I've got Devin Booker, I've got Jason Tatum, I've got Dame Lillard. I've got guys I need to get going and keep happy for us to win. And- what went underrated for him was that and then his defense. He was up in people. He was picking up full court. It was a la Chris Paul in, in the NBA finals where it just, it just wore opposition point guards down dealing with this guy. And he's a factor at the offensive end. You know, he's not a, a lockdown defender, let's say Delaver Dover like where he's going to pick you up, but then doesn't really give you much on the offensive end. So you can actually, you can rest on defense and get your legs back for offense. Drew's actually going at you at that other end. And I thought he was fantastic throughout in that Australia game. I, I put a line through his stats at 15, 8, and 8 in FIBA ball. A triple-double is very hard to get, as we know. But he he was influential to come off that plane, no preparation, jump in that lineup, then start. That's how much faith they had in him, and they knew that was the piece they needed. He was he was the X factor for me after Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was a guy that got them buckets when they needed. But as far as an intangibles teammate, a, a team first guy, the Drew Holiday acquisition, it, I think it, it really, really helped Team USA. Yeah, it, it, it goes to show you the way they put that team together as far as you know, they got their they got their players that they had with that were superstar level players, but the role players they put together, and I think Holiday, I mean, defensively he was so good, and he attacked the basket. You know, he didn't settle for threes all the time. You know, a lot of times I saw him get to the rim, and a lot of teams were so spread out defensively that there wasn't a lot of shot blocking except when you played a France but most teams were spread out and there was they didn't really have that shot blocker so he just went in there and he wreaked havoc you know his, his finishing package and being able to set up defenders he was uh he was inspirational to watch and like you said coming off a really long season when you have to deal with COVID and all this other stuff goes to the finals and then you know gets on a plane and does what he does and, and, and at the level that he sort of, you know, look at his stat line. I mean, he contributed throughout the whole, into the whole games. It was, it's pretty cool to watch, man. It's, it's a, I love guys who can compete or are tough. You, know, you always hear the great stories. You never really hear a bad word about him. Great teammate, competitor, you know, plays both ends of the floor. And um, it was great. Imagine winning a championship and, you know, Going winning a championship and then getting on a plane and winning an Olympic gold medal. I mean, it's that's that's phenomenal, man. Yep, sure is. And, and just to finish off this USA breakdown, I think they um, they noticeably stepped up their defense in the third quarters. Obviously, a championship quarter, most people will say, but historically, the team USA they were tough for us back in the day because they had so much athleticism. They they basically meet you at half court 
um, at least the Krzyzewski era of Team USA, and they would force 20, 30 points off turnovers. This team wasn't really that. They were more that half court, we're going to lock you up in the half court. But then when they got down, especially in that Australia game, they, they really stepped up their defense, and that's when they broke the game open. So um, it was just interesting to see. They really extended their defense to the half court line. They, they got some steals. And then whenever you get Team USA out in the open floor in, in three on two, you know, or one on zero situations, you're going to get dunks and you get, you're taking the ball out of the net demoralized because those dunk, dunk, dunk plays in a, in a one minute spurt just can absolutely take away your confidence with ball handling and trying to get in your sets. And I think that's what happened to um, to Australia. But yeah, credit to the US. They looked down and out versus Australia and they came back. We'll get to France. They finished second, getting the silver. Good t- tournament overall for them. You know, they were they were expecting to win it, much like Australia were, and, and they just fell short. The gold medal game for me, I never really felt like France were in it. It was they were they just couldn't get a rhythm like they did the first time they played Team USA, and and, and they probably stole that first game. To be honest, we spoke about it, a fifteen to two run in the last couple of minutes for France, stole them game one of the of the Olympics. So US had pretty much full control of that game for thirty odd minutes, and, and they had full control of the gold middle game for the most part France made a game of it got it down to a three point margin and then the US went on like an 8-0 run or something like that and, and, and got it back out to double digits but the US stuck to what they did they, they switched one through five they let Gobert catch it They you mentioned off air they, they were noticeably letting Gobert catch it with a guard on him in the paint and then just fouling him and, and he missed what, what did he shoot from the line pro? 6 for 13 yeah and, and that was the point where they where they were trying to surge a comeback, so it just stymied any rhythm they had, and then and then it would just it became a we need to shoot a bunch of threes to try to get back in this uh, Fournier shooting a, a three just over half court with a couple of minutes left when they were still in the game, um, and then they they were, they were down and out. But credit to France, I, I feel like they battled. They got some tough guards, Decolo and, and Fournier signing that big deal in New York. They're two tough guards that they get up in you, and a lot of athleticism on their on on, on the wings with Rudy protecting the basket. Um, I feel like they're probably missing. Piece is a stretch five um, for their future. So I think they're going to have to look to, at times, you know, Gobert is one of the best defenders in the league, best pain defender, rim presence, and you, you take him out and there's a noticeable absence on guys getting to the rim. But the way the game's going, you got to have something else in your bag where you can have a Jock Landau type or someone along those lines that can't just stretch the floor for periods at the five spot. That's just the way the game's going. So I think that's their, their adjustment. But how did you um, find France this tournament? Are they competed... Every game that I saw them play, I mean, DiCarlo, even though Gaze killed me on the fucking pick, you know, a couple, a couple of weeks ago, like I thought he he was an X factor for them because like you expected Fournier and you expected Gobert, you expected Batum, um, but I thought he gave them a, a sort of an impact with his passing, his, you know, his scoring at times and the ability to make shots. I thought the switching for United States was just constant. And they were taking advantage of it. They took advantage of the last game they played and the win and in the gold medal game as well. I, I just thought if Gorbea made his free throws. Now look, it's easy to say he missed seven, they lost by five. But I think that USA, if he if he started making his free throws, probably would have, you know, switched up some things they would have done and they probably had to handle another, you know, another defensive rotation or another defensive strategy. But I, I thought that he that was his, such an Achilles heel for any quote-unquote superstar that's going to have the ball in their hands at some point. Like, you know, I think that's an Achilles heel for his game. Look, he doesn't have to be Hakeem Olajuwon when he catches on the block. He's not going to be a post-up player. But if he's going to be a roller, and especially in crunch time, I don't care if it's Olympic competition, NBA playoffs, 
um, you're going to get wrapped up, especially if you can't make free throws. And I thought that, you know, that that was such like for the United States, they kept on following him and following him and following him. And you were expecting like Durant to get in foul trouble and Booker to get in foul trouble and all these guys to foul out or be, you know, France really take advantage of that. And you now I was texting back and forth with my friends during the game that were like high school and college coaches. And they're like, why do they keep switching? Why do they keep switching? I said, look, if, if, you know, Gorbea's only going to make one free throw every time down, then it's one point per possession. That's what you really want, like one or less. So take advantage of it. They're not getting two or three. That's what you want until he starts making free throws. And I thought that was a big part of it. But, you know, even Yabusele, the guy that used to play for Boston, he came up big. He made three threes for for France. It was a – I mean, I thought they competed. I thought France was really good to watch. I didn't have the medal in when we started doing our predictions, but – Man, they were they were great. I, I really enjoyed watching them throughout the tournament. Yeah, just a solid team. I think some good pieces. They're um, they got length, athleticism. We saw that length come into play against Slovenia in the um, in the semi final where there was a, a layup. I think it was by Prepilic and um, got by Batum and. and- most guys would lay that up normally and Batum didn't quit on the play, blocked a game-winning, potential game-winning shot, would have went in, obviously, and, and um, they, they just have a lot of length on the wings and they would have been a tough matchup too for Australia if we got them in the semi as well, I think, um, but I, I feel like we would have we were past France, but the, the US. Slovenia, the last team will go over. They finished fourth. Um, last team will go before we get to Australia. They finished fourth. And it looked like Doncic just fizzled out um, against Australia, which we'll get to shortly. But they, that, man, they overachieved, in my opinion. Um, I know you got Luka Doncic, so gold medal should be your, your goal at, at all times. But to come through the qualifying tournament, um, not having a, an easy route to the Olympics and carrying that momentum, everyone knew they'd probably make the quarters. And then beyond that, who knew? Um, but then to, to come in and, and have a chance at a gold medal, potentially, Missing that by a, a you know a play like I just mentioned by Batum, and then um, having a tough bronze medal game against Australia. I think they they really really did well. One tidbit, bro. I'm not sure. Do you know much about Mike Toby? You know, Fran Fraschilla, who who's a commentator for ESPN and he did a lot of the games. He's a big international guy. He kept on mentioning him. He went to like Virginia, right? Wasn't much of a shooter. Made like four threes or five threes his whole career, or something like that, and then just. I guess he's been the sort of story of the tournament, correct? Yeah, he, he sixteen two thousand sixteen. He graduated. I think he was a four year senior. Played, I think, in the G League for a year or two. Bounced around uh, like fringe NBA guy. I think he finished the tournament at sixteen and eleven. Really athletic, really really good. And paired paired, paired well with Luca. Goes back to my argument of I, I feel like Luca almost plays better with a Dwight Powell. Mike Toby type roller yeah. at times than a, a pick and pop Porzingis because it's just easier. It's easy. You just know what Porzingis is going to do. So you're just like, okay, you're going to pop. We can switch one through five. We can half blitz Luca and get back and rotate. Whereas when you've got a guy rolling while Luca's going downhill, I think it, it it just it's just better for his strengths. But that's a story for another day. But the reason why I bring up Toby is because I have no idea how this dude got Slovenian citizenship. Like, the shit is ridiculous. <laughs> so, he played two years in the States, which puts him to around 2018. He's been in Spain ever since. And somehow, he has Slovenian citizenship. So, it's fantastic. I think FIBA are taking the piss a little bit by granting that one. And and that's probably more on a lot of these European countries are much stricter with their citizenships. Uh, looser than in Australia or in America where you have to go through, generally go through the normal process. Even if you're a potential Olympic gold medalist in Australia and you go to the government and say, hey, this, this guy's got to, they'll be like, yeah, cool. Put him in the line with the rest of the people. We might get you sped up. 
by a couple of months, but you're still going through the three, four, five year period. Same as the US with green cards and, and citizenship. Whereas, you know, in Europe and even Asia to an extent, they're like, oh, potential gold medalist, cool. One month citizenship. And I made a joke on air. I'm, I'm not sure if Toby's stepped foot in Slovenia before their training camp in his life, unless I'm missing something. Someone will tell us, but I don't think he has heritage because Mike Toby doesn't sound very Slovenian. But yeah, just an interesting one with, with the way FIBA goes about it with the citizenships. And, you know, he was a really good player in the tournament, but I know, you know, he doesn't know, doesn't speak a word of Slovenian and just thought I'd ask if you knew if he had any ties there. Yeah, he has ties to the currency of that fucking bag. He probably sent somebody to get that passport, man. I mean, shit. He, he's like Jason Bourne. He goes to some fucking, you know, some Slovenian bank with something that's fucking like some microchip that was put in his fucking hip. And he just fucking, you know, he has like nine passports. Uh, we'll call him Jason Bourne from now on. So, Michael, Jason Bourne, Toby, whatever the fuck his name yeah, is. I'm just trying to figure out what, if anyone knows the story, feel free to message or email because uh, is it, I, I want to know the connection. Like, is it, do you have a Slovenian coach in Spain, you know, in, an, in a G League? I just want to know. There has to be some sort of connection. It can't, it's just, it's just weird. It just like literally just came out of nowhere. It'd be like, you know, hey, we recruited this, China recruited this kid from, you know, Australia that was born and raised here and can't even speak China, you know, whatever it is, right? And you're just like, wow, I, I just, I just love to know the story behind it. And if there is a legitimate, I don't think it is legitimate that he has roots or, or anything like that but I don't know maybe his dad was a businessman there and spent 15 years and, and he gets citizenship by descent um, can't be too ignorant to that fact but yeah it's just a strange one I thought I'd bring up but yeah look Luka Doncic just I think he wore out um, he, he had a, he had a you know we can call it a, a pretty bad bronze medal game and hurt his hand potentially in that bronze in the semi-final playoff against the all protective coronavirus purse plex we see on, on most um, in most arenas now tweaked his, his wrist or his hand I think he's had problems with that one before pro as well that wrist that look like um, he's had it taped up numerous times in numerous games of, the, of his NBA career. But yeah, just they, they just ran out of gas, I think. The, the emotional letdown of probably being in that gold medal game if it wasn't for a great play by Batum. And I think that's where Australia was the last two campaigns of the emotional letdown um, of losing a semi-final that you've had full control of, which we did in 2019. In 2016, we didn't, but in 2019, we should have won that game. And then you kind of let yourself down again in a bronze because it doesn't, not that it doesn't mean that much, but it's just it's just a hard psyche. You're not playing off for the finals. So, how did you see Slovenia's um, tournament? Did you, you know, did you have them? Well, you didn't have them picked in the four, did you? But um, did you think they they go this no, far? No, I did. Oh, you did. That's the only fucking one I got right. I mean, I had um, I had Australia, United States, and them them winning the silver. I mean, the bronze. I mean, I thought just because of Luca. Look, I think Luca's one of the. Even though he hasn't won an NBA championship yet or or, or advanced in the playoffs yet. I think just he creates opportunities to win. You know, his, his game isn't perfect. A lot of people, you know, some people love it. Some people don't love it. But the, his ability to make plays, pass the ball. I mean, I, I, he's got – I've never. I haven't seen many players of better vision that ever play the game, in my opinion. And he just makes plays for other people. He does dominate the ball at times and his shooting's up and down. And you got to live and die by that. But – um, I thought that if they, they had a chance because of him, and like you said, he's better with, you know, a bunch of players that spot up roll. He's not a good, he's not good with a player that dominates the ball and he needs to be the one. That's why I, I named him the Matador when I was in Dallas, because he loves playing to the crowd. He loves to do anything to make the crowd happy, which is win games and make plays. And the guy just, he can make any type of shot 
And that's why any shot he takes, you've got to look up and go, holy fuck, you know, because the guy is just ridiculous with making shots. Now, he ran out of gas. He, I think the wrist was bothering him. And look, his shooting's up and down. So, and then you go get a bad left wrist on top of it. Maybe that had a lot to do with it. He was probably tired as well. I mean, you know, his, I, I'm not big on usage rate, but like just what he had to do to get them there. It, it was, it was very impressive. I, I probably gave him three compliments in my whole year. I was with him. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go too overboard with it, but the guy was, the guy's been really good, you know, fun to watch. I mean, 48 points opening game, didn't lose a game until, you know, what, 16 in a row with his national team. And, you know, people a couple of years ago, they didn't even think they were going to qualify, you know, because they, they didn't qualify. I think they had to qualify late to get in. So all that, I, I thought it was tremendous. I mean, they just, they just didn't have enough. Australia was killing it, you know, and it was close to most of the game, you know, but the plays that Australia made, they just, you know, they just had too much at the end of the day. But uh, Slovenia, I mean, look, you got Luca there. Obviously, you can get anybody through with a fucking passport there. So they could probably recruit worldwide now. They're like, a, you know, they're like a Christian academy in the United States. They'll have, you know, nine people from eight different countries. But I think that they, they're, a po- they're a power to be able to, you know, compete to medal in the next probably two or three Olympics. So it's pretty interesting. They're, they're sort of their future going forward. Yeah, and all on Luca, obviously. If he doesn't play, then you don't even probably have him in the court. Oh, no, fuck. No. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No chance. No fucking chance. But great way. No we'll finish with Australia and get into them a little bit. Um, great way to end um, their campaign. You know, like I said, the, the psyche is the hard one because you go into any tournament, any NBA playoff series, whatever it is, to, to finish first, to be the last man standing, the last team standing. So you lose that semi final, which is demoralizing. We, you know, we had control of that game, I felt, in the first half and, and let it slip a little bit. We'll get into that a little bit in a second. But to bounce back and then have to be like, okay, now we're competing for third and we want to treat this like a gold medal game, it's a psyche shift. And, and that's what we probably struggled with the last couple of campaigns. And, and to the boomers' credit, it was still a chance to set history, never medaled before at an Olympic Games or a World Championships in the men's basketball and for them to set the bar now Paddy Mills talking about it yesterday on an interview we've now set the bar for what is what is what is the minimum standard for Australian basketball it is to medal and you hope 2024 is a gold or a silver and you you now have a goal for those young kids coming in through the program and the guys that are going to be back to aspire to and beat so that's important Paddy I mean was sensational in the final 42 and 9 um, you know shot it a lot but but he was he it just looked like he was at a point where he's like I'm not I'm not going down in a three four game again and whether I, I, I shoot us out of the game or shoot us in the game it's gonna start and stop with me and and he he carried the team on his back whenever we needed buckets Luca made a little run late hit some big threes Patty came down the other end and went bang 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 and it was all awesome. that that was awesome I, I think it finished the right way but that game specifically you know I think Luca was just just worn down by our defense worn down by the tournament and then having a face Daly to start the game for a couple of minutes hounding you and then Matisse was just sent Sensational, and and we didn't really double, which I was surprised at times. We just we we switched one through five a lot. Um, even in some of the timeouts for the Australian team, we heard coaches telling Jock Landau and Nick Kay contest it, do not foul, and they were living with that step back char 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 three, and 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 he didn't shoot it well in that game. And on top of that, you know, he had he had eight turnovers for the game. So he oh, here we go. He had eight turnovers. He shot seven for twenty, and he was a minus sixteen pro. So the Boomers did a fantastic job there as far as the bronze the bronze went, but. I'm going to circle back to the USA game. That was a tough one because we were in full control for, I think, 16 minutes 
of that first half and a portion of that game was lost in the last three minutes of that half, the first half, because we had a 15-point lead that then came down to three going into halftime. A lot of momentum was lost. Uh, We had to finish that off properly. We didn't. We had some tough calls, but that's where that game was lost. And then they turned it up in the third quarter, the USA team did, and I've really applied a lot of pressure. Um, I felt like we could have taken a timeout early now. The timeout game pro is really hard in FIBA. You have three timeouts, and we had three timeouts in the second half. And, uh, you know, you, you, being up in that quarter to start, you're probably thinking as a coach, this is going to go down to the wire. I need to save my timeouts. But they went on a big run in that third quarter, and I probably would have burnt one early if I was, uh, you know, looking back. A few other notes I had Joe Ingles got going early, hadn't, hadn't had, a, had an up and down tournament consistency wise but came out you know notably to to be aggressive knocked down two threes and we didn't go back to him and and that even though we were flowing and had a lead i I felt like at times we had guys come in that that made great plays and and you know we really should have looked to continue to go to that well within the offense um chris gordon was the other example he came on at one point hit two threes in a row the third one they fouled him he knocked down two out of three threes first we had eight points in a minute and then he got subbed um so because of the rotations and they were a couple of little tweaks that probably could have changed things a little bit but look we went down by a big margin at the end i don't think it would have changed a whole lot just thinking out loud and spitballing but they that's where i saw the game lost and then team usa just turned it on we turned the ball over in the third and and the game was just out of hand relatively quickly it was a four or five minute burst in the third and the game was pretty much over and to our credit we battled and like i said went on to a um to a bronze medal game but how, how did you find the um, australia usa semi-final that was a hell of a game and especially in the first two and a half to three quarters. Um, I thought that Australia did a great job competing, making shots, being aggressive. Uh, they did the best they could defensively. They did a, they did a, obviously a very good job, probably 80% of that first half. And then, you know, and then Kevin Durant happened. You know, he just kept on making play after play. Look, he shot one for seven from three. It's not like he made a million threes, but he just got to his, you know, mid-range game. Um, he didn't get to the free throw line a lot, but that mid range game killed them. And they just kept on, they just so, sort of kept on, you know, taking advantage of Australia not closing. And they had to, you know, at, at some points, you got to do that. And like you said, Joe Ingles came out hot, you know, first couple, he made his first two threes. And his ability to make plays, it's not like he's a one trick pony, right? Like, it's not like he's just a three point shooter. I mean, the guy's an, an exceptional passer, playmaker, and he could and he could sort of get you spread out and make plays for other people. I thought Wandale had a a pretty rough game, you know, semifinal for sure. You know, he was a little bit off of his game. A couple, you know, the missed dunk, put back, a couple of missed shots. You know, I, I think he, I think the frustration got to him a little bit, and you know, it just was a little bit too much to overcome. I don't think it's one person that that obviously cost him this. It was a team effort, but you think that you have them. It's 15. You know, we've all been in those situations a million fucking times. You look up, it's 15. You think everything is fucking great. You're thinking about, you know, you're thinking about what pose you're going to make on the fucking podium, you know, winning a gold medal. And two seconds later, you're fucking, you're only up three. And, you know, it's frustrating, but it, like it, just to be in that moment though, to be, to have that, you know, to be in that semifinal situation is exciting, but you got to be able to close. And look, United States wasn't going to go down swinging. Like Booker made plays and Durant made plays. And I thought defensively, Green was okay. Draymond was decent. But I thought when they, they made more of a push when um, Bam was in the game, you know, I thought he gave them a little bit more rim protection. 
you know, e- even though he didn't get any blocks, but he, I thought he just gave him a little bit more. And I thought they made a few more plays when, you know, when Bam was in the game versus, you know, when Draymond was as far as, as far as just sort of making a push, but it's frustrating for Australia, but look, you know, to met, to be able to medal, that's great. Um, to be up by 15, you know, in the first half. I mean, I, I wonder how many teams, if you can go back, you know, since 1992 had the United States down 15 besides that, you know, the, the team in 04. But um, there aren't many teams that got to do, I mean, maybe in the first quarter, first couple of minutes, you know, you punch them in the mouth. But to be up 15 in the second quarter, even though it's not the game, it is impressive. But, you know, obviously it just wasn't enough. Yeah, and that's a, I guess that'd be probably the frustrating thing for a lot of guys on that team would be that, you know, we, we felt like we played very, very well. And, and I, I, even if that lead goes from 15 to 12 or 10 at halftime, the momentum hasn't really shifted. But I, I think that momentum was just so lost in two or three minutes. There was a bit of a deflating moment at halftime of like, shit, we had them on the ropes. We had them 15 down. Um, I think we were trying to get it to 20, 25, made some mistakes, probably were present a little bit. And that's where the game kind of turned. But where to, for Australia from here, I think only up, you know, we have um, have a lot of young talent coming through. Dante Exum was really good for me. I mean, he turned the ball over a little bit early in the tournament, but that was just from ag- aggressiveness and he started to figure out that portion of it late. And his defense is actually, he's a very, very good defender and gets, doesn't get as much credit for that, but he shot the piss out of the ball from three. I think he shot over 50% for the tournament. A lot of them were open because they were stunning off. Um, you know, Paddy Mills guy wasn't leaving Paddy, so he'd fake it, Dante, and Dante would be that guy that had to knock it down. But shit, you got to still knock it down, and he did. And, you know, he's a free agent too, which is surprising. He, his issue is body and health. But, I mean, you can do a lot worse than getting him as your backup point guard, I can tell you that. So, he's hopefully, he's played himself into a role in the NBA and can find some, some consistency and form there. But we have some older guys, Aaron Baines, potentially could have been his last Olympics. Um, um, Dale Vadova potentially could have been his last. Joey's kind of on the brink of age-wise, but I'd, I'd, I'd be a gambling man and say they'll all try to go again. It's a matter of whether they'll be there in 24. Paddy Mills will definitely go again, in my opinion. Um, but then you have that youth of Jock Landale. Um, Nick Kay's kind of you know in his 20s, but Jock Landale and Matisse Thibel. Ben Simmons, obviously the question mark. We always discuss whether he'll play or not. Who knows? Um, Josh Green didn't play a lot of minutes. Uh, in this tournament, but I think he's he's going to definitely play himself in just a minutes, and then of course Josh Giddy. So the future is is very very bright for the Boomers, and I think as I said earlier, um, the bronze now is the minimum. Uh, we need to get to a semi final um, at worst, and and then try to always get a medal every tournament. Otherwise, it's 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 not it's not an achievement. So I like that. Finally, real quick, who was your surprising? team of the tournament um, doesn't have to be someone that, that won a medal who was just someone that surprised you that you didn't think would do as well as they did hmm. for me I'll give you my one mine was Italy they came out of mm-hmm. nowhere um, they qualified they beat Serbia in Serbia out of that 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 qualifier of death that they had no one picked them I, I sure didn't out of that qualifier I thought Serbia or even potentially anyone else uh, they, they came through that and then they they got to the quarterfinals um, got out they were in our pool of course they almost beat Australia we only beat them by three um, they played a very good game against us and then they they went down to France by only nine in the in the quarterfinals I think they they you know as hard as it is, is finishing eighth they they overachieved and they have they had a pretty good, well-coached, solid squad. So, I was impressed by them, Pro. Yeah. I mean, Italy was very good. I mean, they they spread the floor. They made shots. They competed a little bit more than I thought. I, I definitely give them credit for that. Um, I still got to go with, you know, I still got to go with Slovenia, man. I mean, 
I don't think anybody, yeah, like Luca, you know, everyone probably thought Luca was going to score all these points and they weren't, you know, they may not even got out of their pool play. And, you know, I got to give it to them to making, you know, making a bronze medal game and putting them in a position they probably should have been in the gold medal game. And, to, like, if you just look at it from talent standpoint, you know, individual talent, you take Luca out of the mix, I mean, what do you have? You know, I thought Dragic was playing. I thought uh, the other Dragic was playing up to about two games ago. And I didn't <laughs> watch them play. I just saw the yeah. fucking stats. I'll be honest. So I'm like, yeah, well, Dragic is fucking playing well. Well, it's the wrong fucking Dragic, you fucking jerk off. I mean, it takes it takes me three hours to watch 60 minutes. So I ain't the smart. I ain't the smartest motherfucker on the planet. But I thought Savinia was really impressive just to get to where they got to. And yeah, if you take Luca out, I mean, it's like me being on this podcast without swearing, right? You know, Slovenia without fucking. Without Luca, but I, I thought, together. yeah, no, I thought Luca was good. I mean, I thought the team was good. They played well. They competed and to put themselves in the position, you know, to do what they did. So I thought they were impressive. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think either or, but Italy was one that just stood out. My underperforming team pro would be Spain. Whenever they don't get out of, whenever they don't finish in the top four, I think for them is an underachievement. They are an old aging roster. Rubio had a hell of a tournament. He's he's kind of like the Paddy Mills version um, in Spain. He just plays much better for his national team than he does for his club. But they were probably the underperformers just because you, you generally see them as as a top four contender every um, every tournament. Yeah, like I compared them in Argentina, you know, just because you know of the history of those two teams and those two countries in Olympic competition. And, you know, Argentina, you know, we talked about them a couple of weeks ago. I just didn't think they had enough, you know, to compete with, you know, they just basically had Scola and, you know, a bunch of young guys and some players running around, but, you know, and they tried their best and competed. But Spain, yeah, I mean, not that they, in my opinion, they didn't underachieve in the sense that you expect more because of their Spain, you know, and they had the Gasol brothers forever and Rudy and, you know, they had Rudy Fernandez and Rubio and those guys and you expect them to do more, right? And, they just didn't – you would want them to be in sort of the gold medal competition, final four, final game. But uh, it, it, it was a little – yeah, it was a little bit melancholy not to have them in that chance to win a goal. So, yeah, I guess they'd be the underperforming team. All right, that's the Olympic wrap. Another, another one in the books. Congratulations to Team USA. Congratulations to France. And congratulations to Australia for all getting a medal. And we'll see how, you know, Paris is only three years away. And let's hope coronavirus is over by then and we can have a normal tournament. We'll see how that goes. But on to NBA free agency. Now, bear with me, Pro. I've got a list of about a 1,000 names I'm going to read through real quick. So, what we're going to do is I've got all the free agent signings here uh, some of them are big names some of them aren't so so bear with us and then you can circle a few of these that we want to break down and chat about get you ready got your pen ready well bogues this is nothing i just had a stress test the other day and they read me a list of foods that i eat on a regular basis that i can't anymore and this is about triple this list but anyway <laughs> i have my i have my fucking pen ready to go all right and by the way my the treadmill i had to run on had to take a stress test after i took a stress test by the way, that's just another story for another day, but go right ahead, brother. You got it. I got it. All right, here we go. Start with Jarrett Allen, a big one. He's agreed to a five-year, $100 million contract with the Cavs. Carmelo Anthony agrees to a one-year deal with the Lakers. Trevor Reza back to the Lakers um, on a one-year deal. Lonzo Ball agrees to a four-year, $85 million contract with the Chicago Bulls in a sign-and-trade, which I have some news on later. Will Barton agrees to a two-year, $32 million contract with the Denver Nuggets. Nicholas Batum, two years with the Clippers, Kent Bazemore, one-year deal with the Lakers. DeAndre Bembry agrees to a one-year deal with the Brooklyn Nets. Kem Birch, 
three-year, $20 million contract with the Toronto Raptors. Jeez. Nemanja Bielica, one-year deal with the Golden State Warriors. Tony Bradley, one-year deal with the Bulls. Bruce Brown Jr., one-year, $4.7 million contract with the Nets, so he stays there. Sterling Brown, um, $6.2 million contract with your former Dallas Mavericks. Reggie Bullock goes to your former Dallas Mavericks, two for three years and $30.5 million. <laughs> Alec Burks, three years, $30 million to stay in New York. Jimmy Butler, Expected to, I think that's confirmed now, four-year max extension, $184 million range with the Miami Heat. Alex Caruso, four years, $37 million with the Chicago Bulls. John Collins, five years, $125 with the Atlanta Hawks. Zach Collins, three years, $22 million with the Spurs. Mike Conley stays in Utah for three years and $72.5 million. Torrey Craig agrees to a two-year, $10 million contract with the Indiana Pacers. Steph Curry agrees to the four-year, $215 million contract. Contract extension with the Golden State Warriors. Second guy, I think first guy, one of the first guys to do two $200 million deals, pro, I, I believe. I think LeBron didn't because yeah. LeBron did shorter deals, I think. So, I think he's the first guy in NBA history. I could be wrong. Let me know, listeners. Terrence Davis, two years with the Sacramento Kings. Sam Decker, back in the NBA, Toronto Raptors. <laughs> terms not yet reported. Dwayne Dedman, one year with Miami Heat. DeMar Rosen, three years, $85 million with the Bulls. The Bulls are spending. They are spending um, this this offseason. Georgie Deng, $4 million contract with the Atlanta Hawks for one year. Spencer Din- Dinwiddie, three years, $62 mil with the Wizards. Andre Drummond agrees to a one-year deal with the Sixers, reportedly vet men, and that's an interesting one because him and Joel Embiid have a great relationship, as we know. <laughs> Kevin Durant, four years, $198 million extension with the Brooklyn Next No-brainer. Wayne Ellington, one-year deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. Bryn Forbes, deal with back to the Spurs, terms not yet reported. Uh, Evan Fournier, four years, New York Knicks, up to $78 million with bonuses. Rudy Gay, uh, two-year, 12.1 with the Utah Jazz. Taj Gibson, $2.7 million contract with the New York Knicks, so that's a vet min. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, five years, $172 million max with OKC. Devontae Graham, four-year, $47 million contract with the Pelicans. I believe that's potentially a sign-and-trade. Danny Green agrees to a two-year, $20 million contract with the 76ers. Michael Green, two-year, $17 mil with to remain in Denver. Javante Green, two-year deal with the Chicago Bulls. Jeff Green, two years, $10 million with the Denver Nuggets. Blake Griffin stays with the Nets, which I assume is a vet min one year. Tim Hardaway Jr., four years, $74 million to stay with the Dallas Mavs. Mo Harkless, two years, $9 million to go to Sacramento. Willie Herman Gomez, three-year deal with the New Orleans Pelicans. Numbers not public yet. Solomon Hill agrees to a one-year deal with the Atlanta Hawks, I assume, vet min. Rachon Holmes, four-year contract to stay in Sacramento. Could be worth up to $55 million, so bonuses involved. Rodney Hood agrees to a one-year deal with the Bucks. Taylor Horton-Tucker agrees to a three-year $32 million contract to stay with the Lakers. Dwight Howard goes back to the Lakers, which I assume will be vet men. Andre Guadala back to the Golden State Warriors, I assume will be the vet men. Reggie Jackson, two years, 22 to stay, 22 million to stay with the Los Angeles Clippers. James Johnson, one year deal with the Brooklyn Nets. Corey Joseph, two years, 10 mil to Detroit. Kaminsky, Frank Kaminsky stays in Phoenix. Ennis Cantor, back to Boston. So he's gone, he's gone Portland, Boston, Portland, Boston. That's that's an interesting tidbit. Furkan Korkmaz, three years, 15 million with the 76ers. So he's back there. Jock Landale, Lawndale, nice. two-year deal Lawndale. with the Spurs. I believe it's a one-year guarantee with a partial, if I'm correct. Alex Len, 
Two-year deal with the Sacramento Kings. Saban Lee, three-year deal with the Detroit Pistons. Robin Lopez off to Orlando for $5 million in a year. Didi Lazada, former Sydney King. He opted out. His deal was opted out by both ends a couple of months ago. They've restructured that to a four-year deal. Terms not disclosed with the New Orleans Pelicans. Kyle Lowry, three years, $90 million to go to the Miami Heat. Trey, Trey Lyles agrees to a two-year, $5 million contract with the Pistons. Boban Marjanovic staying in Dallas. I assume some sort of vet min deal. TJ McCollin, four years, $35 million to remain in Indiana. Doug McDermott agrees to a three-year, $42 million contract with the San Antonio Spurs. JaVale McGee, $5 million from the Suns. Patty Mills, two-year, $12 million championship run with the Brooklyn Nets. He's going to be huge for them off the bench. Malik Monk uh, agrees to a deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. Terms unknown as of now. Markeith Morris, one-year deal with the Miami Heat. Mike Muscala, two years, seven mil with the OKC Thunder. Abdel Nader, two years, 4.2 to to go to the Phoenix Suns. Raul Neto agrees to a deal with the Washington Wizards. Terms not known. Uh, Georges Nyang, two years, $6.7 million with the 76ers. Nerlens Noel, three-year uh, $32 million contract with the New York Knicks. He, of course, turned down a bag from Dallas when you were there, pro, so he's, he's lost a bit of money. Kendrick Nunn, two years, $10 million from the Lakers. David Nwaba, three years, $15 million, Houston Rockets. Semi Ojale, one-year deal with the Milwaukee Bucks, and he was a Giannis stopper from Boston, I believe, so Giannis will be happy about that, get a good defender in the lineup. Oladipo agrees to stay with the Miami Heat. I believe not for much, pro, and, and he turned down a big deal as well, which we discussed. Um numerous podcasts ago. Kelly Olenek, three years, $37 million with the Pistons. That's an interesting one to me. Kelly Oubre, two years, $26 million with the Charlotte Hornets. Chris Paul agrees to a four-year contract with the Suns that could be worth up to $120 million, so some bonuses involved there. Campaign, staying in Phoenix for $19 million in three years. Otto Porter Jr., vet min deal with the Warriors. Bobby Portis, two years, $9 million to stay with the Milwaukee Bucks. Norman Powell, five years, $90 million to stay in Portland. That's a that's a big one, and that that's, um, that's very, very interesting because I think some writing could be on the wall there by giving him that kind of money. Julius Randle, four years, $117 million to stay in New York. Austin Rivers, one-year deal with the Denver Nuggets, terms undisclosed. Duncan Robinson, you called this a while ago, so did Strauss, five years, $90 million contract to remain in Miami. Derek Rose, agrees to a three-year $43 million contract with the New York Knicks. Ish Smith agrees to a one-year deal with the Charlotte Hornets. Tony Snell agrees to a one-year deal with the Portland Trailblazers. Max Struess agrees to a $3.5 million contract with the Miami Heat. Daniel Thies, or Tice, however you want to pronounce it, agrees to a four-year $36 million contract with the Houston Rockets. Gary Trent Jr., three years, $54 million to stay in Toronto. PJ Tucker agrees to a two-year $15 million contract with the Miami Heat. Gabe Vincent Agrees to a two-year, $3.5 million contract with Miami Heat. Ishmael Wainwright, two years with Toronto Raptors. Kemba Walker agrees to a deal with the New York Knicks. Specific terms of the buyout and new contract not yet reported. I'm not sure if you've heard any of those numbers, Pro. Uh, no, I haven't. I, I think it's an over minimum, obviously, because they have the money to pay him. But I don't. I think with this buyout and things... I- I don't think it was that astronomical, but I haven't heard numbers yet. Yep, okay. Hassan Whiteside, Utah Jazz, fit me in, I assume. Lou Williams stays in Atlanta for $5 million. Justice Justice Winslow agrees to a two-year deal with the Los Angeles Clippers. Trey Young agrees to a five-year, $207 million maximum extension with the Atlanta Hawks. No brainer. And the last one I have is Cody Zeller agrees to a one-year deal with the Portland Trailblazers Pro. That's a mouthful, even for me. What do you take note of out of all those names? You know, folks, for me, it's more team. 
you know, it's more teams of what the teams did and, and, and the contracts they shelled out. You got to talk about, I think we got to talk about Chicago because Ooh, I don't think there's busy. another team collectively that spent more money. You know, maybe some play, some teams spent more on one player, you know, a Golden State and, and obviously Atlanta and, and things. But, man, did they spend a lot of money. What did you think about Chicago's pickups? I'm not sure how it's all going to fit. It's a strange – it's just strange pieces. What is it? It's, so, they got Lonzo, DeMar. Lonzo, DeMar. They got Levine. Markkinen's a restricted free agent. They haven't done him yet. Vooch. I mean, don't forget Kobe White. Don't forget Patrick Williams. They only had a second round pick because their their trades went. I mean, their their picks went back to Orlando in the you know in the Vooch trade. But they got an interesting roster. I worry about teams, and it's so overrated sometimes to have cap room because sometimes you you put yourself in position where you do things like this. And I'm not shitting on the whole trade or whatever. I mean, the signs and the, the, all the signings they've they made. I mean, look, like you get rid of, you basically got rid of Thad Young, who's serviceable, and Amina, who's sort of broken down on, on his last legs, you know, to get Damod. So, you know, you traded out salary. So it's almost like a, tr- like a, an even trade the first year, and then you got to pay Damar and the, the rest of the deal. Then don't forget you got Caruso as well. But you got Lonzo, who's up and down in his shooting. He's obviously on an up, up, uptick with that. You got Vooch, who needs the ball on the block. You've got DeMar, who's not really a three-point shooter, who's a playmaking mid-range player, which I'm not, I'm okay with. But, you know, you got so many. And then Levine, who's a volume guy who needs a million shots. So It's strange. It's clunky. How does that work? And then Vooch wants post-touches. I mean, he's become more of a stretch five towards the tail end of his career, but he's still a, a good one on the block. Um, I, I agree. And a little note, the NBA has opened an investigation into possible tampering violations involving two sign-and-trade deals completing free agency. And one of those is Chicago's acquisition of the of New Orleans' Lonzo Ball. The other one is Miami's acquisition of Toronto's Kyle Lowry, sources told ESPN on Saturday. NBA will probe the NBA's probe will examine illegal contact among teams and players ahead of the opening of free agency, which is Monday at 6 p.m. And it basically goes on to say, specifically, the New Orleans agreed to trade Ball, a restricted free agent, to Chicago on a four-year deal for $85 million for Garrett Temple on a new three-year $15.5 million contract and guards Thomas Sadoransky. The deal is yet to be finalized with league office and could look different in its final form. So, um, just, a, just a small note there that they've opened it up. Who knows? Like you said, it won't be anything drastic. I think the Big names will still stay the same for the most part, but yeah, they've, they've actually they haven't investigated Brooklyn and their their staff hiring party houses on every road trip. But good old Miami and Toronto and Chicago, they're in the mix for some tampering. I mean, Bogues, these deals, it's fucking nuts, right? Like you got these signing trades, which obviously takes a little bit of time to do. You, you got to sign these guys to the right deals and make the trades work, and these things are done like. Minutes after the fucking trade that like, like right after the free agency is open, right? You get all these contracts being negotiated like that. I remember uh, being at a camp for Nike once and it was uh, like a, that's when they used to start free agency at midnight. So I'm at dinner. It's like nine, almost nine o'clock. And then at like 901, you see like Farouk Aminu agrees to like 
you know, five years, 35 million from Portland. You got like 18 deals being done in the first two minutes of free agency. That's the efficient pro. The negotiations were just, they were just very efficient in those 30 seconds that free agency was open. Are, are you being cynical? Are you not, are you thinking that something dodgy was done before uh, free agency opened? That doesn't happen. Surely not. That's a f- more efficient than my fucking bowel movements on a fucking Taco Tuesday night. Give me a fucking break, Bogues. Come on, man. But this shit happens all the time. And you know what, Bogues? I don't give a fuck. Exactly. That's the point. Yeah, it's yeah. Like che- cheating's rampant everywhere. They juice baseballs to hit ninety-five fucking home runs from Mark McGuire and you know Sammy Sosa, and I don't give a fuck. Like steroids, I don't give a fuck. Like nobody does really. You know, like cheating a rampant in college basketball, and it's never gonna stop. Nobody gives a fuck. Tampering never gonna stop. They'll they'll get burners like they're on the fucking wire. They'll get smoke signals. They'll send fucking rockets into space. They'll do anything, anything to get an edge. You you know, it doesn't matter. But again, you know, big market team goes down, you know, they fucking cheat. They'll fucking, you know, they'll fucking put it on Minnesota or they'll put it on Utah or they'll put it on, you know, Detroit. You know, and then the player stuff is crazy too. Like the tampering that goes on with players to recruit other players. And you'll just never stop it. I don't give a fuck, but it is rampant, but I don't really care. What do you think, folks? Yeah, I'll, I'll disagree with you with the drug cheating stuff. I'd, I'd really, I'd suspend for life with drug cheats. Um, that's kind of how I am. But yeah, the tampering stuff, man, like if you've got half a, a decent agent, he's making calls for you during the season when you're a free agent. He's kicking the tires of teams. Hey, you got some cap space. Do you like my guy? You know, and that's, that's what he's paid to do and teams are going to engage. You have to be ahead of the curve. If you're waiting... We've said this a million times. If you're waiting for the day, we're that honest, honest team that's waiting for the first minute of free agency to open to pick up the phone, you're going to sign no one. <laughs> you're going to have like you're going to have the same team that you had last season, minus a few few other few players that someone else stole off you. So it happens. I don't think it's tampering to that extent. I think um, the league just needs to figure out some ways where it's it, it just know it happens, man. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's if your team hasn't picked up your option or extended you and you're in the final year before you, your contract expires, maybe that's when legally you can have somewhat your agent can have discussions with other teams. Now, you don't want to have players already one foot in, one foot out, which happens anyway. Um, you don't want to make that like blatant, but- Let's be honest, it happens. I think the rule around it would be what I just said. Like you can start – if your team hasn't shown faith in you to extend you or, or give you that deal before a year before your contract expires, once you're playing in that year pre, pre-contract expiry, your agent should be allowed to be able to publicly comment if he wanted to and even you know talk to teams as much as he wants. But as you said, man, like it's it's rampant. The fact that they they pick certain teams that they're going to investigate, it was kind of like when the Chris Paul trade got turned down, they were supposed to go to the Lakers, like the league gets involved all of a sudden. And it's just like, you know, just there's a bunch of different things going on and I think it just needs to be the same rules for everyone. And like, you know, that we know that that just doesn't – it doesn't happen. So, I doubt this – this deal gets rejected. I think they're just going to make a little example of them, find them a little bit. And, and at the end of the day, even if a team gets fined 50K, like the Lakers did when Magic was making comments and tampering, it's like, who cares? On the books, it's fuck all. It's- they're actually talking about like, somebody told me, oh, I think I read somewhere where they're thinking about possible like five to $10 million fines on this. 
Well, that's the only way you can. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna police the rule, then you're gonna hurt somebody doing yeah. that, and then they're gonna stop doing it. If you're gonna find teams fifty thousand and a hundred thousand and put some stuff public, hey, we're shaming you, Miami. You you, you contacted, you text Kyle Lowry before free agency open. Here's a fifty k fine. It's like, yeah, cool. We're just that, that's part of the acquisition. We just paid a hundred million for this guy. Do you think we give a fuck about the fifty k? Like, so your point, yeah, that's. If you're going to police it, do it properly. If you're not, it's just theatrics at this point, waving their arms, saying, "Oh no, we're, everything's fine." You know, we're, we're trying to keep everyone accountable. Well, you can't, you can't do it with those small ass fines. But um, anyone else in free agency, anything else? I mean, the Lakers, man, they've is that one of the oldest rosters in NBA history? Oh boy, yeah, they're really old, man, and they're really old. Like Bogues, what do you make of it? It's like, strange. I mean, obviously they're they're saying Vegas is saying they're winning it. Obviously, they're favored to win the win the whole thing. Uh, would you go that far and say that there you would make them? I mean, I know we we haven't analyzed it all that much, but like, would they? Would you think that they're they're a favorite to win it with the with the players they acquired? I don't know, man. Let's read through them real quick. They got Costa Sensor Kumpo, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, um, Devonte Kakok. Anthony Davis, Jared Dudley, Wayne Ellington, Marcus Sowell, Horton Tucker, How- Dwight Howard, LeBron James, Wes Matthews, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Dennis Schroeder, and Russell Westbrook. And now let's go through these ages, all right? So I'm not going to do the names, but we've got 23 years old, 37, 36, 32, 24, 28, 36, 33, 36, 20, 35, 36, 34, 23, 26, 27, 32. But the key in this is the, go- the younger guys are guys that are probably not going to play much. So, I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a case to be said about having great veteran leadership. But number one, when these, you know, if they don't win the chip and they have to blow this up, good luck because you got no young talent. You got no one really of 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 value. I mean, LeBron is valuable, but he's 36 and doesn't have that long left at a high level. Um, Anthony Davis is probably your last piece that's that's very very valuable. Russell Westbrook, of course, as a big name, but they're all you know Davis is. 28 um so very old team you better hire a training staff they're probably gonna need one training staff person per player (laughs) you know treat guys and make sure they're ready but i don't have them as the favorites i still think that you know even phoenix that have somewhat slightly retooling you know they're still going to be a tough team to beat and they've got some youth i'm just not sure um i i agree with you need the veterans on the team you need a veteran presence or two i like the reza acquisition the kent baysmore one doesn't really make sense now that you've got trevor reza but then you got trevor reza you got carmelo anthony as well there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense and as you mentioned they were they were really stuck salary cap wise what they could do you know and, and they ended up doing i got that one right they, they they did get a they did go all in to get another star superstar it wasn't a second tier star they got russell westbrook but i think they're pretty handicapped with what they can do so it was a matter of getting these favorable vet min type contracts in because they, they they had no money they, they couldn't go outside their cap to, to go and sign someone for these these smaller deals right bro yeah no they couldn't uh they were very strapped for cash of what they really can do and it's a little weird to me you know first of all the lebron and westbrook thing how's that gonna work with rondo a couple of years ago when they won the thing and he was a big part of their success in the playoffs they took the ball out of lebron's hands a little bit and he hated it you could tell he hated it not having the ball in his hands and now you have westbrook that needs the ball in his hands and look, Westbrook's a good player. He obviously put up numbers to prove it last year at a sort of advanced age with some injuries and things. But like 
those two together are tough. Like it's, you know, you don't have consistent shooting. They, they take tough shots. They need the ball. You got, you know, you got Anthony Davis, who's, you know, who has been injury prone the last few years. Then the like old player versus signing Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk. You got Taylor and Horton Tucker, who they have high hopes for. I think he's an I think he's an average to above average player. I don't. I, I never really saw the huge value. He's six four and he's not really a great shooter or great playmaker, but he's not a bad player from time to time. But like these players, like Nunn and Monk, who had decent young careers, not great, but you know, Nunn especially had some good years in Miami. Um, I like the Dwight Howard signing. I mean, I know he's sort of the, you know, the he's sort of the epitome of everybody's jokes, but uh, the punchline. But I think, as you saw in the playoffs, like having that big come off the bench that could do some things. I don't think Gasol is going to play all that much. I think you know because of the fact, you know, Howard could still affect the game in small minutes. He'll be all right. But I just don't see it. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I'm terrible. That means they're going to probably win 80 games if I'm saying I don't really like them. But I mean, I think they're going to go deep in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to get out of the West, but you could definitely see them in a conference final. But I just don't, I don't love it. You know, they were, they were handcuffed of what they can do. Like we always talk about a million times. So getting the Westbrook deal actually wasn't the worst thing ever. I mean, what did you really give up? You gave up Pope, who's up and down. Kuzma, who's definitely up and down. So you didn't really give up a lot there. Oh, you gave up Montrez Harrell. But, you know, I'll tell you what, Dwight Howard is probably as effective as Montrez was. Maybe Montrez is a little bit better on some of the things that he can do. You know, maybe he can you know make free throws at a little bit higher clip, but I don't think they gave up much in the Westbrook deal. And they don't they value that their roster doesn't have much value at all. Unless you can get something out of Horton Tucker, which I think his ceiling's a little bit, you know, I think he's reached most of his development already. And none is okay, not great. Miami gave him away basically. And, you know, in free agency, just let him walk. And Malik Monk's been up and down, inconsistent player. But, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see him winning at both. But I think it'll be exciting for L.A. Look, L.A. is going to do what L.A. does. They're going to bring in a superstar, quote-unquote superstar, and they're going to try to get the biggest name they can get. And they got it. I don't think they could have acquired anybody else that with that stature, with the, 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 the package of players that they sent out the door. So it was either him or Buddy Heald, which we talked about last week. In some ways, Heald fits a little better because he doesn't need the ball. He shoots and he a three as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, how do, I, don't, I don't know how you play Russ and, and LeBron together. Um, like you said, they're both, you know, LeBron's probably a better three-point shooter. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't have them as a favorite. I'm probably putting Brooklyn as a favorite if healthy. Um, they should be healthy and they should have an offseason. And they've retooled pretty well, in my opinion. Patty Mills is a huge acquisition for him. So I'd have them as favorites um, as of now. I still think Milwaukee's going to be in the mix. You got to give them the credit they deserve. They're going to be up there somewhere. And then and then out west, there's, there's the west is just, the west is tough. Um, no one picked Phoenix to get through to where they did. But to have the Lakers as a clear number one right now, I would definitely bet the under on that one. Imagine the poor fucking bastard reporters that gotta like try to get sound bites out of LeBron and Westbrook. I mean, come on. <laughs> you can get more out of like, you know, 
going up and down Vegas, you know, the fucking strip in Vegas and those, those mime, those mime fucking guys with the, like stressing up as a statue of liberty that doesn't talk and those mime, mime puppet, mime clowns. You could probably get more out of them because they ain't going to, they ain't going to say shit. <laughs> so it'll be interesting getting some fucking, you know, tidbits out of that group. Yeah, it is. What, what, a few other notes I had. Um, Jared, uh, Jared Allen, five years, 100 million. It's good to see. A non three pointing shoot, shooting big man get get paid, so um, you don't see that very often when you can when you when you put in, uh, you know, Andre Drummond has quite a fall. Folks, oh, you like him? Who? Allen. I like him. Yeah, I, I think he's very athletic, protects the rim. I think he's Rudy Gobert light, probably with a bit more offensive skill as far as defensively. Rudy Gobert light. He's, he's becoming that Rudy Gobert protect the paint at all costs. Really tough to score when he's in there, uh, but I think he's got a better offensive game. So um, I think. You know it's worthwhile. Just nice. I just noted that. That was one of my notes. The other, the other one I thought Daniel Daniel Dice was was an interesting one. Like hasn't had the best couple of years. Um, was okay in Boston. Was a solid role player for him. But Houston obviously sees something that we don't. You know, giving him four years at, at thirty six odd million. So that was an interesting one that I marked down. I, I definitely wasn't expecting that. I thought he'd be a you know two two years ten million t- type guy. But Houston obviously um, like him. The other one, Kelly Olynyk, hasn't done a whole lot the last couple of seasons. Detroit has made some interesting signings no. and they gave him three years 37 million and he's had some good years and some bad years but the last couple of years he hasn't he hasn't really played that much and that was i don't know if he had a market to get that from anyone else so that those, those two stood out for me as far as interesting on the, the downside but our guy jock landale is the one that i'm, I'm excited about i Oof. think um I think the Spurs got a steal, and they, they generally get these these steal deals. They're notorious for giving these gems that play overseas these one year, two year deals that are you know. But he did get a, the guarantee in the first year, which is great. He left money on the table, pro, which is why I like it. He, he had a, he had a big deal coming out of um, Turkey, I believe. I bet uh, for two years, guaranteed money, tax free, um, USD over there. So he's probably left around about a million dollars on the table um, to, to to fulfill mm-hmm. his dream of playing the. NBA. So you have to respect that. I think he's in the right system, the right organization. He's gonna. There's minutes there for him. You know, Pirtle, Jacob Pirtle with the Spurs, um, not a great shooter, not an f- offensive threat. Kind of the opposite of Jock. He's, he's a really good defender, shot blocker, but not a not a great great offensive threat. They signed Zach Collins and Doug McDermott, and, and old Doug McDermott more of a just a ratchet three point shooter. And Zach Collins, yeah, Zach Collins is similar to Jock Landale. I think probably um, in the way they play. I think Jock's got a better three point shot. So the, he's got minutes up for grabs. Well, the twenty-two million he got, he could actually, you know, he could take eighteen of it and pay for his medical bills in Portland. So, don't worry <laughs> about that. He's he's sort of been on that fucking train. And you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield has been actually a fucking multi-cajillion dollar company in Portland now. So, you know, treating his injuries the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting. They don't really have. I mean, their roster is weird. You know, it's. They don't have – they clearly don't have a superstar on the roster. You know, at least you can make – DeMar DeRozan, you could sort of make the case for being a borderline, you know, really good player, you know, borderline, borderline superstar. But it's a, it'll be an interesting sort of crew. You know, you got – I mean, if you look down their roster, whether they got – you know, Keldon Johnson, he, he played well this summer for Team USA before the, you know, before the Olympic Games and those sort of, and those friendly games. You got him, you got McDermott, you got Murray, you got, you know, Porto plays a little bit. You got our guy Lawndale. You know, they, they do a lot with Lonnie Walker, you know, Derek White, Thad Young will be okay. 
But it'll be interesting where they go with this roster. Now, they got a little shooting. I think McDermott's one of the best shooters in the league, you know, especially off movement. I would probably take McDermott and his contract over – and I'm a big Duncan Robinson fan, but I'd probably feel a little more comfortable paying, you know, Doug the money that they paid him versus $90 million for Robinson, especially Robinson didn't have a great year last year. But, again, where do you go with that roster? You don't have – Look, you don't have the really high picks that they used to have. You don't have the great players with tremendous value. Maybe you make trades on uh, disgruntled superstars and you sort of, you know, you take a, you know, a Derek White and you take a Lonnie Walker or you take a DeJounte Murray and package them in for a better, like a really good player. But how do you sort of, they're sort of in purgatory right now. They can't, they can't advance in the playoffs. They don't have this great young talent. They've got this collective role player deal, but they don't really have that great player. Where do you, where do you see that roster, Bogues? Yeah, it looks like a pop roster, minus Tim Duncan um, and Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker. <laughs> uh, yeah, they just got a bunch of guys that they're trying to figure it out with. They're trying to rebuild. Um, I don't think they'll be any good. I think they'll be they'll they'll be solid Spurs basketball. They'll steal some games just from playing the right way, but I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Um, but I think it's just from a selfish point of view, it's a great opportunity for Jock Landau to put his foot, oh, foot in the door. Fuck yeah. And I think it's one of the best places he can go. And I know they value guys that, that play the right way and play hard. So Jock's that guy. He's, he's a team first guy. Uh, as we saw in the Olympics, he had a few games where he didn't really touch it much, didn't power, continue to run and play hard. His running of the floor is very underrated that, that people don't really talk about. He runs the floor at an elite level. Um, if you if you watch games, as soon as either he gets the rebound or somebody else, there's even times where he grabs a rebound outlet and still beats his man down the floor. He loves running that middle of the lane and that's something the Spurs haven't had for a while so um, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he fits in he, he shot the three ball well in the Olympics um, the NBA range might be a little bit more puzzling for him but I, I doubt it it's only a foot so I'm excited for him he's, he's a big fan of the show he listens to us I'm a big fan of his helped helped him when he first came into the national team as much as I could and I think you know he's going to be one of the futures of the boomers as well so great news all around and like I said should be commended for taking less money to, to back his dream and go to the NBA and a lot of times the NBA is right place right time and sometimes you just have to eat a bit of a shit sandwich financially to try and get your foot in the door and I think he's made the right decision but good luck to Jock best available free agents left pro Dennis Schroeder who we talked about on the pod five Oof. or six steps ago turned down a bag it was, was it roughly 80 million, 80 million if I remember correctly 84 million I think it was 84 over 4 so <laughs> it was 16 million dollars a year he, I mean, ooh, he's in some trouble. The market has dried, and the more reports I've read is he might have to do a one-year team-friendly with the Lakers to stay on um, because they've got all the leverage now to maybe even lowball him. I doubt that 80s even close to being offered by them. They can't, obviously, with, with Westbrook and that now. But that just goes to tell you, like, you're turning down big number, and realistically, how much more did you think you were worth? Even if you thought you were worth four years, 100, you're turning down 84 to get another 16. A lot can happen. You can hurt yourself in a workout you can get clipped by a car you could have a market dry up right under your nose and shit he's yeah he's he's, he's in some trouble imagine you could have done four year 80 for now again i'm not a fucking capologist i'll, I'll, I'll obviously admit that but you could have done four year 84 with like opt out after two and, and get your value up opt out and do this shit all over again like this fucking merry-go-round that these players like to do with these shorter deals like you could have done something like that and said, you know what? Fuck it. I'll stay with the Lakers. You know, I'll do it. You know, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do a shorter deal 
and then opt out early if I do well. If not, I have the, you know, it's not like they were offering him 27 over three. You know, he's offering him fucking 84 over four. It's a hell of a deal. And he could have opted out or, sh- or signed a shorter one with the same, you know, yearly money at 16. But instead, now you're ass out. If I'm him, I'm probably, I mean, the Lakers deal, now you got to deal with Westbrook. You got to deal with, he's sort of in that Rondo role now, you know, where Rondo was taking those deals to come off the bench for the last few years. That's sort of where he is. I mean, where, where does he go from here? Do you sign in, you know, do you sign in Boston, you know, because they don't really have much at the point guard spot. They got Peyton Pritchard and Chris Dunn coming off the bench, who's, you know, who's sort of the point guard version of Zach Collins. He can't stay healthy. So, like, what do you do there? I mean, you go to another split, uh, spot for like a one plus one mid-level exception, $9 million or a taxpayer mid-level at like 5.8, one plus one, and then opt out if you do well. Now you're really juggling this shit and you're really fucking, he's gambling more than I was fucking taking that stress test and getting on that treadmill the other day. Like yeah. you out of your fucking mind. Now, now you got like 84 fucking million. That's like I said, you could always opt out early. I mean, it, they, they do all these opt outs these days now. Hey, look, there are winners in these things and losers, but it's not like he got offered 30 million, 84. You're not getting much higher than 84. Exactly. Even if you hit it. Yeah, that's it's crazy. Just, yeah, man. it's just it's crazy. He's got a bit greedy. I think he, like I said, you can't you can't criticize his decision because he's backed himself. But I think he's found himself in a corner now. He's going to take some sort of team friendly deal. But a few other names: Dante Exum, still a free agent. Hopefully, he gets picked up. Um, Josh Hart, he's restricted. Laurie Markinen, restricted. Paul Millsap, getting old. Who knows what he does? Hamadou Diallo is a free agent. JJ Redick, an aging shooter, could be a. Vet Ming guy somewhere late in a roster pickup, maybe even a mid-season pickup. DeMarcus Cousins, free agent still. James Ennis, Isaiah Hardenstein, and Svee Mike Hulik. Mike Hulik, um, how do you say that? But yeah, he- um, Mikulik, maybe? Yeah, Mikulik, yeah. He, that's basically what the premier guys left. Do you see any of those guys absolutely not getting a deal or do you see most of those getting picked up? I think most of those guys would take, you know, take, I, th- I think they're just sort of- waiting to see everything slow down right around now where most of the deals have been done. Now you could sort of pick your spot. Like, you know, when you're later in your career, like a JJ Redick, people, if you could stay healthy, which I'm sure you can, if you're JJ Redick and you're sitting there and you could definitely help a team with the shooting, you're just going to wait and see like where, where's the best fit to live, to play, to opportunity. Can I win? Um, I think some of these guys would do that. And, you know, to circle back about Dante Exum, I'll tell you what, the Olympics were so good for him. And this is why, like, a, you know, I don't, I'm not going to beat the Ben Simmons thing to death, but any pro player that's thinking about not playing in the Olympics. And, look, you could buy into national pride or not, but more like show the world that you're really good. And, like, I didn't have much to think about with Dante Exum. I wasn't a big fan. You know, obviously the injuries and the slow production obviously weighed with that. And then you watch him in this role of helping a team win. And we, we talk about it all the time. The league is 80% role players, maybe even more than that. And, you know, not many people have the ball in their hands is going to dominate. And he showed the world that he could guard people. He's got athleticism back in the left in the tank. He made some shots and he, he played a huge role in winning. If I'm an NBA team, like, why am I going to fuck around with some retread of a guy that I got to sign that's going to take 29 fucking shots? He's going to shoot every time he fucking touches it. He's going to be a pain in the fucking ass. 
This kid shut his mouth, got healthy, helped his team to a to a medal first time ever. You know, he's not fucking Oscar Robertson. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that he could help a team and really showcase himself. I think he's going to do fine. I think someone's going to sign him. You know, sh- you know, I-, I think someone's going to sign him in the next few days. I- I- I'd be really shocked if this guy didn't come out. Not, you know, not a nice little deal, probably a, you know, $2.8, $3 million a year deal. I, th- I thought what he did, you know, it just goes to show you, you could really up your value. Cause I don't think any, I think everybody sort of tossed him out, me included. And you got, and that's probably why he did well that I tossed him fucking out. But he, you know, he just showed that he, there is true value in playing in the summer and playing in summer league. He didn't work out with some Instagram jerk off fucking trainer, you know, juggling fucking swords and fucking swallowing fire and um, putting it on Instagram. He fucking worked. He worked and he played for a team and he came off the bench and he fucking helped them. That's, that was pretty, that was pretty good shit, man. It was good to watch. Yeah, and I, I'm, I think he will as well. But you just, you know, the, the body thing is an issue for him, and it came up ginger on a few plays. But I think, you, yeah, you, you got to. It's a, such a low risk signing, in my opinion. He's not a he's not a dickhead. He's a team first guy. He's brought into a lesser role with the uh, Boomers at times, and 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 played it fantastically, and and did what he could, and actually earned more minutes as the tournament went along. So uh, you know. I've I've actually spoken to a few teams about him trying to get get him on a roster because I think he'd be invaluable. But we'll watch that space. Not many other. Not, and by the way, I had to um, Google old mate's name. My Hulik Hayluk. My Hayluk is the way you pronounce it. So I apologize. I had to, had to oh. Google it and just say it the right way. But um, yeah, Dante Dante will be. I think he'll be on a roster. I just hope he gets in a situation where he can, can contribute. Anyone else? I mean, JJ Redick is he done? Does he get a Does he get another deal? Nah. I think JJ wants to continue to play. I think he loves playing. I, I, I think he just loves being a pro basketball player. And I think he likes competing. If look, I don't I'm not a doctor. I don't I don't know any of his you know, like how his injuries are, if they affect his future. Here's a fucking JJ Reddick story for you. I have him blocked on Twitter for some fucking reason, folks. You blocked him? <laughs> I didn't blo- I, I did not I, I swear to God I did not remember blocking this guy. I I've worked with them when he was in college at the Nike camp and the Jordan camp, I always liked him, listened to his podcast. And I guess one day uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, they were talking in the train somewhere in practice or whatever about our podcast and me, my fucking Tom Foolery, my history in Dallas. And he looked me up because I don't think he knows me by name, but he probably knows me by face, but those guys are telling him. And he looked me up and it saw that I got fucking that he's blocked. And somebody fucking sent me the picture of him looking at it on his phone. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I guess I have fucking JJ Reddick blocked. And again, I love the kid. Like I've, I've, I've not known him, but I've been around him since he was about 19 years old. And I've always liked working with him. I love him as a pro. I love w- listening to him talk about shooting. And this fucking guy, I got him blocked on Twitter. Now, there's no fucking chance. I don't give a fuck if I'm in a Cadillac with fucking cement shoes on in New York and some fucking mafia guys about to throw me in the river. I am not going to unblock him. What? Because I will get fucking ridiculed up and down to the, my fucking dying day. Come on, dude. If you did it, if you, if you yeah, did I'm it, not unblocking him. What? If you did it by accident with your with your fat fingers, you know, <laughs> dude, you know, you know the shit I will get from the fucking Mavs, my fucking guys, the Mavs who like to yeah, bust my balls. Yeah, but if it was obviously an is. accident, like if you if you actually blocked him because you were like, I don't like this guy or whatever, you you know, that, and then you're like, I'm. 
that's different if you renege on that. But if you did it by accident, if you're like, hey, you're like, everyone knows you're a big dude, bro. I've, I've got big fingers too. So I, I sometimes hit things I shouldn't on, on that old phone. Like, you, you, you get a pass. You get a pass. Dude, how do you explain blocking somebody and not blocking them? How do you explain going through the process of blocking somebody? Like, it ain't like this. It's, it's a button right on the fucking screen and you hit him and you block somebody fingers, by accident. Man. Fat fingers. You, you clicked on his profile because you liked his podcast and then you must have accidentally blocked him and not known. So, it's as simple as that. You got you got the, you got to play the fat card. I don't know. Maybe I thought it was somebody that had cholesterol-free chicken or something. I got pissed <laughs> and I thought it, thought it was Reddick chicken or something. I don't know. Fucking don't know. But I have that motherfucker blocked and I have no reason to block him. So, that's my Reddick story. We're going to make this part of the pod a, a clip for Twitter and we're going to add JJ Reddick in it. And we'll try to, we'll try to uh, mend that bridge with old JJ. Please do. Last one that snuck by, not a big signing, but Bucks acquire Grayson Allen. I think it's a great move for them. Um, they, they basically got him for nothing, cash considerations from the Memphis Grizzlies in exchange for guard Sam Merrill and two future second round draft picks, a guy that didn't play at all anyway. And I, I think he's a good acquisition. Um, they need more shooting and toughness. He's a great 3 and D guy, doesn't need the ball. So just one that kind of snuck by with all the noise of big names. I think that was a smart little move by uh, by the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Look, Grayson Allen is someone who... You know, he had a, a checkered past with the what he did at Duke and some of the, you know, cheap shots that he did. And people he's like one of those guys people love to hate. And he sort of turned himself into a pretty serviceable pro. I mean, I took him on my fantasy team last year, so I really paid attention to him. And the guy, like, he he created things. And I think the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, look, I, I think they should have kept him, but obviously they made a move. But I think the Memphis is gonna be good. The moves they made, getting you know, getting um Steven Adams and they got they made the move for, with Val uh Valid So they pick up Steven Adams, they picked up Bledsoe and to put him with Morant and those other guys like Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson and you know and the rest of you know Desmond Bain and, and the rest of the team there. I thought they'd done well. But the I think Milwaukee, like you know, you talked about it last year. You know, you were worried about the bench. I was worried about the bench. And I think some other guys were too. And, you know, to add a serviceable, tough kid like that, that can go, you know, any night can give you three threes, four threes, a couple of tough plays. You know, he's sort of like another Pat Connaughton type of player, you know, different. He probably shoots it better. You know, he does some different things. But, I mean, those tough, gritty bench guys that really helped them throughout the playoffs, I think he's a perfect fit. And they didn't really give up a lot to get him. So, I, I sort of like the acquisition. And worst case, if all, all hits the fan, he'll just fly kick you or trip you over anyway. So, <laughs> pretty yeah. good the defensive end. But I like it. Well done, Milwaukee Bucks. How about the Knicks? What, what do you think about the Knicks moves? Interesting. Yeah, Fournier, Nolan's Noel stayed there, right? He left. He left some money on the yeah, table. Yeah, Fournier, Rose. They just did Randall. They just did Randall at, at about a hundred and forty million, well, one hundred and fifteen, yeah, which I think gets up to about one hundred and forty. And then Fournier, and they redo Rose. For some reason, I thought they picked up somebody else that I'm that we're missing. Oh, Kemba Walker. Yeah, Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker. They lost, uh, what's his name that signed in uh, Dallas? Bullock, Reggie Bullock signing. Oh, uh, Bullock. He was solid yeah, for Bullock. Them. But yeah, look, New York needs some, they just need some consistency, I think, with rosters. I think that's probably what they're trying to do and they got to spend some money. Um, they don't still have a bona fide superstar top 20 guy, I don't think, I don't believe. Um, Fournier, it's a big investment for Fournier. If he plays anything like he does for France, that's a great, great signing. But he, he just he's had he's been inconsistent in his NBA career, but very, very good player, I think. Um, Kemba Walker, obviously very, very good and got him for nothing. D-Rose, solid vet. Noel, solid role player. So, look, 
Julius Randle coming off an all-star year. They're investing a lot on those guys. You hope they play with that same fire and passion which Thibs will get them playing with on a nightly basis, I believe. They're, they're, they just need some consistency. So, this was a no-brainer for me, keeping the same guys there. Build on that year and then, you know, hopefully they can get to that position where they're a you know perennial top four, top five team in the Eastern Conference year on year and they can start you know, pinching a few of those big name vet min contracts towards, you know, the end of their careers that they can come and help them. So, I, I don't mind it. I think they kind of had to do it just to, to be consistent. Miami? Miami's a strange one to me. Like, the Kyle Lowry fit with, they're going for an all toughness team. Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, that's why the Robinson move was a no-brainer. You got to keep shooting there. Yeah, just a, just an interesting one. I, I'm not sold on that. I'm not sold on it at all. Um, I think it's it's going to be a watch this space. But um, I know it is a tough place. Um, we talk about the cultural stuff, but they're they're very military like there with everything going on. So it'll be interesting to see how Kyle Lowry. You know, we know he's a tough player. How he fits in with that being a max guy because it's you have to be a unique specimen to play there from what i hear it's 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 very very it's a very very tough i heard you know during their playoffs runs two three hour practices were still the norm so a lot of tired guys in that program no matter how fit you are towards the end of the season yeah absolutely and the one and the one chip that they have left is to trade tyler hero if they needed to obviously i'm not saying they should force him out the door but if they had to acquire a player you know, he's got huge demand. I'm not a huge Lowry fan, and he's getting up there in age. Um, I think they had to make a move to try to get, you know, they, they had to get as many star-type players as they could. I, I know they sort of kicked the tires on Westbrook a little bit, but, you know, that contract was tough to move. You know, they got all the depot coming back. If he can be healthy, I don't think he can be healthy throughout, you know, most of the year. So, I think he's going to be a non-issue, although I'm not a doctor either. So, who the fuck knows with that? But um, I've always been a Miami fan for that reason. I think I think Spolster is one of the best coaches in the league. You know, I just love what they do there. But I'm not a huge Lowry fan. And now you got Lowry and, you know, he needs the ball. Butler needs the ball. It'll be an interesting – it'll be, sort of be an interesting deal there. You know, Robinson now has got this big contract. Look, when you're on a minimum deal and you're, and you're banging in fucking threes, you know, they think that you're the next John Havlicek. But you, 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 you sign $19 million and you go from John Havlicek and, hey, let's sign the check and get him the fuck out of here because, you know, if he can't produce. So, that's a that's believe it or not, I mean, you know, I don't care about what your production was before that. When you sign that big deal, now all eyes are on you because now, you know, there's no there's no two or three off nights you could have. They're, they're going to let you hear about it. And, you know, you're, sometimes with these deals, it's like buying a fucking car. You know, it, it loses value right off the lot. So and I'm a big I'm a big fucking fan of Duncan. I'm just saying like, you know, he he's got a lot of, you know, he struggled a little bit last year in my opinion. And he he's got to carry them a little bit as well. You know, Lowry's going to rest, you know, you know he's not going to play most games. So he's going to rest a little bit and you know, there's going to be some times where he's going to have to step up a little bit and and same thing with Tyler Hero. He had a little bit of an off year. He had a little bit of an off year last year as well. So It'll be an interesting, an interesting deal for sure uh, down in Miami. I think they'll they'll be a top two, top three team in the East, and you know they'll they'll have a chance to advance and try to get out of the East. It'll be tough for them, but it'll be an interesting mix for sure. Yeah, I think it's yeah the Duncan Robinson things. It's kind of Joe Harris two It's like he signed that deal before they had the super team, and now you know he got somewhat of the blame for a poor playoff series for them not getting to the finals and not 
not shooting the ball as well. So to your point, he signed that big deal, and eyes are on him now. You're not you're no longer that that Pat Connaughton or that that small deal that's knocking down threes. You're all of a sudden like you need you have to knock these down for us. Like we're paying you to do this. So it will be a shift in mindset for uh, for Duncan Robinson. But we'll, we'll watch that space. Summer league, what you got, pro? You want to discuss this a little bit for people out there that look, it's. It's not a reflection of the true NBA. It's a foot in the door. Uh, the level's definitely not near the standard of, of NBA games. Guys can kind of take it, you know, how they've played there um, too highly of themselves kind of and come in thinking they're going to do the same thing when it's not the case. But it's it's what they've got in front of them. But there's a lot of intricacies. How contracts work in Summer League. A lot of guys not understanding the business of Summer League. Favors on rosters. That's the one that I found interesting. So I had a star player. I think it was Michael Red. He used to get, um, I forgot his name. He, he would get um, one of his ex college teammates on, on the Milwaukee Bucks Summer League roster for like two or three straight years, you know? So shit like that happens. There's promises. There's this. There's free agents that sign that might say, hey, I've got a brother that I want on the team. You know, Master P played a year, don't forget. <laughs> so there's, uh, there's a lot going on with Summer League, but break it. You've, you've worked plenty of those. Break it all down for me. Well, obviously, now with COVID, it's a little bit different. They used to have it like two or three summer leagues. They got two. They just did one in, in Sacramento, uh, a four-team summer league. Uh, now they're going to have the one in Vegas, which is all 30 teams compete. Um, you know, it's pretty exciting. It's their big marketing ploy to get, you know, to get eyes and ears and everything on all their rookies that are coming in the league. You know, that's what they're pushing for. They're pushing for matchups. They're pushing for people. I've heard it's already sold out. Uh, you can't really get a ticket there anymore. You know, it, they sold out pretty quickly. Obviously, people wanting to get out post-COVID and, you know, trying to, you know, trying to just get out into some sporting events. But I'm not a huge fan of Summer League and for this reason, especially for players sometimes, because it's a false sense of where you are. You know, most of summer league, you got a team, you know, your team is going to be comprised of your first round pick, your second round pick, maybe a holdover from last year, a first or second round pick that didn't get a lot of time, a small minute guys. So you got those three guys. Then you might have one player, one and a half player on average that teams are actually looking at, that team's looking at to really sign. The rest of them have no fucking chance in hell of making the team. There's somebody who's trying to, you know, uh, either a favor on the end of the bench that will never fucking play, has a dad that's, you know, some, you know, exec or somebody's doing a favor for an agent or a player or someone like that. Or it's someone who's just really trying to up their contract overseas or in the D League and, and trying to get seen by them because it's it's an interview. You know, it, it is a total interview because 30 teams are there. Every D-League team's there. I would say, you know, half of the international teams at least are there scouting and then trying to get players. So they're trying to showcase. And the problem when that comes up is you're not pro- really playing against NBA talent. It's not really even a D-League situation because at least during the D-League season, you have teams that are, are together most of the year and you have players that are veterans and sort of get a – I'm not a huge D-League fan either, but like it's a little bit more organized with Summer League. These guys have been practicing for about five days tops and you'll have some of these players that are borderline NBA players that are picks that we may, may you know, never make it past their first contract that will average 25 or 30 because they're taking like 30, 35 shots a game. And it's just a total shit show. First couple of games are pretty exciting because, you know, you know, they just want to, they want to play. They want to play in front of the lights. They want to play in NBA competition, quote unquote. But then, like, after the second or third game, nobody wants to be there anymore. You know, some teams sort of bring it together and keep it together to win a summer league championship, and that's great. Sort of, it's sort of like being the tallest midget. But, you know, sometimes people, you know, players especially get a false sense of who they are. 
And instead of like sort of trying to be efficient and play an NBA role and try to, you know, make a team and think of it as a true business as, look, I need to, I need to stay relevant and make this career. But it always goes to cameras are here, Twitter's here, Instagram's here. I, I got to impress by scoring, scoring, scoring. So you got a lot of bad basketball that's going to be played. You got to, you know, have a lot of guys forcing shots, no passing, no ball movement. You know, even though the, the coach probably put in 20, you know, that, that poor bastard assistant coach is coaching that, you know, gets their one shot that they're, they're trying to win a championship and put that on their resume and get, try to get themselves a job. But, you know, those poor bastards are going to be trying to coach their asses off. And, you know, it's just going to be, in a lot of times, not a great mix. But it's a, it's great for marketing for the league because the young players play against each other. But I'm not a huge fan because it's not great basketball. Players get a false sense of who they are. And, you know, you'll, you'll see some exciting dunks and things. But, you know, it's just sort of, it's just sort of the beginning of it, really. Yeah, and it's just a, it's a, it's just a, a kind of it's just tough because everyone's trying to get their numbers up everyone you got two rookies that are potentially on the roster or first round picks trying to play the right way and then you've got eight guys that are you know trying to earn a roster spot for camp or get signed by someone else so it is a very selfish style of basketball and it just yeah it is what it is you just got to kind of take it with a grain of salt and it's more I guess to see how the first round picks are going to go, but even that you take with a grain of salt because, it's, like I said, it's not proper basketball. Just one of those things that you got to observe, see guys' talents a little bit, but not 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 read too much into it. I'll tell you two quick stories that that go in together. Guys that sort of had their heads put on straight when I was with Dallas, like Dwight Powell. You know, he came over in the Rondo trade, didn't play a lot, and then he goes into summer league, worked his ass off for like two and a half months, you know, two months or so for summer league. And this guy came in great shape, gained weight, you know, gained good weight, was in the gym twice a day, got his shots up and had a really effective summer league where he just played his role. Like he played a little bit more of an expanded role, but it just sort of that you start to see, all right, this guy's a tunnel vision guy who is dedicated to getting better, working hard and being in his role. And he's one of the smart guys that played his role in summer league that he was going to play for the pro team and just sort of kept going from there. And he was a hard charging dude and who was, you know, one of the more coveted rotation players in the league because, you know, you know what you're going to get from the guy. He's not, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have an expanded sort of view of himself as far as what he really is in the league. And that guy's just sort of one of the most dependable guys. Same thing with, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith. Like Dorian, undrafted player out of, you know, out of Florida, you know, transferred from Virginia Tech. No one thought a lot of him as far as like, wow, he's going to be a player that could start and be one of the better defenders in, at his position in the league. But here's a guy again in summer league, uh, Don Cockstein, the, you know, the sport, director of sports psychology, myself, sat him down and say, look, you can go two ways with this. You could try to jack up shots like everybody else is going to do, or you can go play your role, spot up, shoot, straight line, drive and guard people. And you sort of have that sort of burned in your brain where now you're going to carry that all summer. You're going to get better as a shooter. It's going to come. It's probably going to be a two year, three year process. But if you have it, this is your role, what you're going to do. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. He ended up beating out Justin Anderson, which we drafted in the first round that we had more money in, we had more time into, and we were thinking that was going to be a pretty good player for us. And then Dorian just sort of had a more streamlined vision of what being a pro was as far as like playing his role, staying, staying in his lane and doing the things he needed to do. And now he's been a starter ever since, you know, ever since he's been in the league, an undrafted guy probably had about a 9% chance 
if you're just sort of doing the math of people in his spot in the NBA in the last 20 years, probably had a 9% chance of making the NBA for one year. Forget about, you know, in year seven or, you know, year six or year seven now. So, you know, those are great stories in Summer League, but there's a lot of money being lost in Summer League because people have the wrong idea about putting up numbers. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to be a negative guy about Summer League, but you, know, you just got to see it for what it is. It's not like when fans leave Summer League, I, oh, wow, our first round pick averaged 32 a game. Yeah, but the guys that were guarding were going to be playing in, you know, Spain and fucking Iceland and fucking Portugal, you know, and the deal in Sioux Falls and, you know, you know, Sioux Falls and fucking Quad City or wherever fucking D-League cities they're going to be in. Like, you know, it, sometimes you just get a, a false sense of where they are based on who they're playing and in the surroundings, you know? Yeah, no doubt. And you can only play what's in front of you, but yeah, it's not it's not quality basketball. I don't I don't tune in. I might I might watch a few of the highlights or rundowns of how Josh Giddy's going, but other than that, I won't really watch and I couldn't really care Giddy too much. better give us a fucking shut up, Bogues. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he will. All right. So we broke some news a couple of weeks ago that's just gotten um, on the news really Ben Simmons not returning calls as reported weeks ago by yours truly which is us um, Jason Zuma's on Ben Simmons a couple of days ago he's open to the California teams is what I've been told the new kicker is Joel Embiid has reached out to him several times since the end of the season and he has not returned one call <laughs> he doesn't want to return to the 76ers damage has been done which goes on to the conversation of the trade requests that we talked about last part about them asking just absolutely insane things from teams it's like your leverage is gone. I mean, this is going to play out interestingly because from what they've wanted initially, which was reportedly they wanted Warriors 7, Warriors 14 pick, um, Wiggins and Wiseman plus future first round picks, like they're on absolute drugs. So to come from there to what I think they could probably get now, which is not much, I don't think a deal is going to get done, which then makes me go heat up some popcorn in the microwave and wait to see what happens at training camp, bro, because this is looking like it's going to be a shit show. Well, I did read that they hired Dame Lillard's workout guy, you know, who, you know Phil Beckner, who's a, he's, you know, as their shooting coach. So that just, you know, Phil's one of the better sort of trainers for NBA players in the summertime, but, you know, his main client is Dame Lillard. So, you know, I think that they're sort of trying – well, they're trying to lay in the weeds and wait, you know, if there is going to be a trade demand, which there isn't right now, uh, if you're Dame Lillard, right, and you get your guy. Now, the history of doing this, because the Knicks have done it, Washington has done it, um, LA, the Lakers have done it, where you hire somebody's workout guy or somebody's guy, it's probably like as many times as I say yes to broccoli when my, my wife offers it to me. It's probably like 0 for 15 on trying to hire somebody's guy to entice him to come. Like, that's a little bit different. But they're waiting on a Dame Lillard. You know, they want, they don't want, they don't want, they'll take McCollum if that's the last deal they can make. But I feel as though if they don't get a Dame Lillard type, they don't get a player that's in the top 15 in the league, that they're going to, they're just going to wait on it. And uh, God, you know, good luck to you if you're not going to trade this guy in the offseason for what's already transpired. And we knew it was happening. He was going to cut off. We, we already said it. He was going to cut it off. Communication. He was going to fucking, he's going to start, you know, tweeting out stuff on Instagram about his workouts, which I think I saw last well, yeah, week. Yeah, you I got think that I one, right? Because I, I, I thought he'd lay low. I thought just with the backlash and the bad end to the series, I thought he'd, and then not playing for the boomers, I thought he's just going to shut it down for a bit. But you said, no, nah, he's going to be. Yeah. He'll be on Instagram with his shirt off shooting. <laughs> and he, yeah, he did. last week there was a photo, so. 
You hit that one. You got you got another one right. Shit. Yeah, two for two for ninety seven. Not bad. But you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to hire the guys. You know, workout guy. They try to entice him to come. You know, to to, to demand a trade at some point. That that Lillard thing's gonna be bad at some point. It, it's just a matter of when. I don't think it's gonna happen for a little bit. But I think it's gonna come down to something. And if you could demand a trade, what have you? And for Portland, I think they can get more than Ben Simmons in a trade request for Dame Lillard, you know, to try to get him, you know, if, if there is a sort of a demand that happens. But the Ben Simmons deal for me, unless you're going to get picks, like unless you're going to get a package of picks, you're not going to get a superstar for him. Unless it's a force out situation where like someone's forcing their way out. You don't want this guy. And they're like, all right, fuck it. Let's just go. But they're not going to get a superstar player. If I'm, you know, if I'm somebody, maybe I'll give you somebody in the in the top 40, you know, outside of the, an all-star type player, you know, someone maybe, you know, from 40 to 50, but I'm not giving you a superstar for Ben Simmons right now. Ben Simmons is a good basketball player. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's an athletic kid. He's got vision. He's got size, but the shooting and it's not even the shooting, folks. It's the unwillingness to shoot. That's way deeper than not having a good shot. Way deeper. And I think that that's a problem. And then when you shut off communication to your team, you know, that, that's even worse. So, I besides a package of picks or a player that's not really going to, you know, Be- McCollum might be able to help him give him a different look. They got shooting around Embiid, but you can't make any moves. Unless you trade Embiid, there's really not a lot of players you could acquire. If you trade Tobias Harris, you're not going to get a lot for him. You know, there's not a lot of... I- problem is they're in, win, they're in win now mode. That's a problem. The trust of process, we've tanked. They have to... They kind of have to get someone back. That that's why I don't think they go the pick route. They'll get some picks back. But they need something back for this whole trust the process. Like you know, you know what I mean. And I think Joel Embiid's not going to be patient and say, "Hang on, yeah, I'll wait two or three years for player X, Y, and Z to develop before we can compete for a championship again." He knows, you know, his days are numbered to get to a championship. And I think that's the elephant in the room for him. Like they, you know, they're in a tough spot right now. And and then if they don't get anything done by September, and then it's October, and then it's you know, then you then you. Then then you're basically trading him for peanuts because, you know, if it gets to a point where it's a stalemate about him not showing up to camp, like, what do you do then? That, that's what I'm saying. The closer this gets to training camp, and one thing about Portland that you mentioned, the Norman Powell deal. So, they've 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 basically given him a big bag of money. Maybe, you know, there's some writing on the wall that they, they're probably hedging their bets saying, shit, if, if Dame leaves and we do get a Ben Simmons back, it'll fit nicely with a, a Norman Powell and CJ McCollum, right? So- there's some there's some things going on that you can kind of read between the lines. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if it eventuates. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I, I think Powell, I've heard that was a little disgruntled about just sitting in the corner waiting. I love Norman Powell. I think he's one of the better, like, you know, borderline third option guys in the league where he, he can shoot it, he can drive it, he's tough, plays good defense. Um, he's a hard-nosed kid, a bo- you know, sort of – um, you know, PJ Tucker on steroids on steroids, you know, just a guy who could guard people. He could shoot. He could, he could, you know, he could create a little bit. So yeah, to have him, you know, it would be a, a pretty good deal, you know, for them. And if they do get Ben Simmons back, you know, and just to surround him with more shooting and, and things like that. But again, I don't think Lillard's sort of forcing out. Now, maybe during the season, um, as that heats up, maybe he finishes the year, but, you know, McCollum, I mean, um, Dame's one of the, probably the more loyal players I've ever seen to an organization. 
you know, he's, you know, besides maybe Giannis and some of these other guys that played, you know, 20 years ago. But because he's been there, he hasn't forced out. He's, he's ha- actually a superstar that actually had his coaches back. You don't, you never really see that ever, you know, with, with many people at all. And he's been about the right things, in my opinion. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But barring that, I think the McCollum thing sort of makes more sense for Philly because, again, unless you're getting a collection of players, like a collection of like lesser players, I don't think you're getting anything better than McCollum. And you have got a coach who's not going to coach young kids. You know, you got a GM who's never been around young teams before ever in his career. You know, they're always have been about winning now. Now, they've been in struggling situations, you know, but Doc was in, on a couple of young teams in Boston, but, he, you know, he wasn't with young teams and with the Clippers and obviously when he took the Philly job and, you know, he sort of passed that in his career and Daryl's always been around veteran teams for the most part. So, it'll be interesting to see what, see what happens with that whole deal. Yeah. We'll watch that space, but I just don't like the direction it's gone for Philly because I think it's... You know, or Ben, really. I think it just it's just gonna it's just gonna end up looking ugly. But we'll move on, finish this one off. Let's get to stats, useful or useless. Kevin Durant, three gold medals, last three Olympics, each gold medal game, thirty points, thirty points, and twenty nine points. Useful or useless? Useful as fuck. Shit. I mean, gold medal games and that guy's doing what he's doing there. Yeah, I think that's pretty useful to me. I mean that's I mean, that's a pressure game, as you saw with, you know, with players who played in it the first time in their careers. And it's not, it's not an easy task. It's sort of like a first NBA finals, right? Like it's, it's big for your country. It's big for your, your individual value as a player, wherever you're playing. And for that guy to do 30, 30 and 29, pretty fucking solid. What do you think? A hundred percent agree. Yeah. I mean, he, he shows up for those big games and, and he was, he's been the X factor for them the last three campaigns to show up in a cold middle game and, and, and drop those uh, kind of numbers on a consistent basis, especially when they needed it. Staring down the barrel at times um, in that game, you know, France making a run in the last one and then he just, you know, he just gets it from from them making a comeback and potentially taking the lead to a 10-point lead quickly. So, I think that one's very useful. Next one, would you happen to know this? Lonzo Ball last season made more threes than Trey Young, Paul George, Bradley Beal, Chris Middleton, Devin Booker, Seth Curry, and LeBron James. And he averaged 14.6 points on 41, 38, and 78%. Or career high, so he shot thirty eight from three. Would you happen to? Would you know that? Just, just, just looking. Fuck no, I wouldn't. I, I, I that's t- it's news to me. It's fucking news to me. I know he's improved his shooting a lot. And he's improved his game a lot to go with his unbelievable passing. But uh, the shooting thing's always been a problem. He's shot it. You know, he had a weird technique shot. Was way off. He shot it from the other side of his face, um, left side of his body. But no, I wouldn't have thought that, Bogues. Would you ever thought? No, that's the eye test. So he's, yeah, he's a victim of the eye test of the way he used to shoot it. Um, so everyone just thinks, oh, it's that, it's that same thing. He's dramatically changed his three, and he's shooting the piss out of the ball. Like to say, he's made more threes than Trey Young, Paul George, Beal, Middleton, Booker, Seth Curry, and LeBron James at thirty-eight percent. So it's not like he's shooting them at volume now. It's not like he's a corner make one for two each game, Tony Snell type. He's shooting at volume. So I, I credit that, and, and that's that's credit to, to Stat Muse at Stat Muse. They have some great stats. So follow them on Twitter. But I think it just goes back to you know the, the big baller brand, the dad, that whole feel about all of that. And then he's then his shot was heavily criticized and laughed at for years. And 
kudos to him. He's improved that and and um you know that that's a, that's an amazing clip and amazing turnaround. But most people wouldn't know that. You, you'd never, especially a, a guy like Bradley Beal or even even Devin Booker, like. F- Feet set, great three-point shooter. Um, Trey Young takes some tough ones, but to, to have more makes than those guys at 38%, I think it's useful as can be. Next one. Okay, headed to the Spurs in the DeMar DeRozan deal is Thaddeus Young. Now, this is, a, I don't know if this is tongue-in-cheek by ESPN Stats and Info, but it's got a little wink emoji. But Young, Thaddeus Young and LeBron James are the only players in NBA history to play 1,000 career games and average 13 points per game, 5.9 rebounds per game, and 1.4 steals per game, 50% on field goals and 30% on three-pointers. <laughs> Bro, useful or useless? Huh. <laughs> I'm a big Thaddeus Young fan, but 30% from three isn't really a big fucking accomplishment, to be honest with you. But they've lowered the, they've just lowered the stats. Like So, it's like yeah, a minimum of 13, 5.9 rebounds, 1.4 steals at 50% field goal, 30% three-pointers, if you've played a 1,000 games. <laughs> they've obviously got LeBron's stats and then try to find any player with a 1,000 games and it's just like- I think it's a tongue-in-cheek one because they've got a they've got a winking emoji, but it's to me it's I, I like Thaddeus Young as well. I think he's a good player, great role player, but a useless stat to me. Yeah, totally fucking useless to me, and it and it, it actually makes not doesn't make him look bad. It doesn't make him look great. I mean, when you're looking at that, I mean, thirty percent from three, especially in today's day and age, like yeah, I think you're just fucking reaching. I think you're reaching. No doubt, useless. Fact or fake news? What do you have, folks? The Boomers will finish better than third. In 2024 in Paris. Oh, it's a tough one. Uh, look, I think they will, but with with these Olympic tournaments, the draw is what gets you. You know, we we face we theoretically should have faced the US in the final, um, but they dropped that. They dropped that early game, which you know put them best place second, and the draw was a bit clunky. Um, historically, we would have we wouldn't have got them till the um, they would have been in a different pool than us if it was a six v six pool of Olympics, we would have got them in the final. So, it all comes down to your draw and the luck of your draw and when you're facing the, the better teams ranked above you, which right now are the US and Spain, which will probably fall now and will probably overtake um, Spain in second and I assume France will be third or fourth. So, I will say fact, but I'll, you know, obviously the note is it all comes down to draw. Um, so, I think we'll have a very similar roster and yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. You? I think you will. I mean, I think that if you look at the other teams, United States are just in their own class, right? And the drawer is big. Don't get me wrong. The drawer is big and it's like an NCAA tournament where one game you're out. It's not an NBA you know, series where you could take a game off and, and have an off night and, and still come back and win or in, some, in a lot of cases, two nights off. I do think just with the other teams that are aging, you know, Spain's aging, France is going to be, you know, Batum's going to be way up there in age. You know, with his injury history and, and his age is getting up to Colo, you don't know where he's going to be. Corbert's obviously a very good player, but they don't really have a lot of young guys in the mix, at least guys that I don't know about. Maybe you have Greece with Giannis, but they don't, again, they don't really have a lot besides Giannis. You have Slovenia, but you don't know where Luke is going to be with this whole thing. I know he'd probably want to play. God forbid you don't know, like if he had a long playoff run and he got banged up a little bit, do you want him to risk it? Um, but he probably would. But you don't know what that team's going to be like in three years. They'll probably have five guys from Spain, three guys from the United States, and two guys from Canada that will be, quote, unquote, Slovenians by then. But, you know, it will help them. But I think where Australia is with their young players, with their young players that are coming up, most of their most of their top unit will probably be back, even if they take a 10%, 15% hit 
on their production with their young players. Thibault's going to be mu- you know much improved. You know you get Josh Giddy coming. You know you've got K who's there. You got Wandale who's there. You know and they're going to get better. They're still on the uptick in their career. So. I think they're going to finish in the top three. I think they'll challenge the United States again. You know, depending on what team the United States brings, they might have a chance again. You know, to to maybe you know challenge for that gold. But I think they could finish better than third. Next one. All right, folks. Sorry about that. Ben Simmons will play for the Boomers in 2024. <sighs> I'm going to go fake news because I got to I got to go the under. I don't want to get my hopes too high until it happens. It just doesn't seem like a priority for Ben, and and that's you know I'm not criticizing him for that. If it's not your priority, as I've said on record, just call it as it is, move on with life. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to say fact, uh, yeah, f- fake news. Sorry, fake news. will not. Yeah, so it's kind of like the um, the girl you like keeps telling you you're going to go on a date, and then you just something always comes up. There's always an excuse. So um, that's that's where my mindset is. You. Here's the thing: I don't care if Ben Simmons plays or not, because like like you said. He's been a guy that really hasn't stepped up for the for the team ever. So like, you know, he had he had plenty of chances to come play and he didn't. Now here's the thing. I think he does play. Here's here's why. You set the table. If you didn't if you if you went out in the first round and then you've got guys that are aging a little bit, you know, in 4 years from now, 3 years from now, what have you to play in the next in Paris, then then it, it'll be like there'll be a lot of pressure for him to play. Because if he does play, then he'd have to ca- you know, help not carry the team. But a lot of it will be on his shoulders to try to, you know, try to get you guys to medal. Now you guys already medaled. Those young guys are going to get better. It'll be a really good chance for him to make it, you know, for them to, to, to even finish in the top two. And then if he comes in, which even without him, they'll probably finish. They'll have a good chance, depending on draw, to be in the final two. But now he comes in and he quote unquote saves the day. And no one's going to think about, you know, Joe doing well or Patty doing well or Lawndale doing well. It's going to be, well, Ben, you know how that media giant that he's got behind him, that will be. I bet he does play in 2024 for that reason. If because now the table's already set and yes, it's going to be tough. Yeah, but it could, it could be reverse effect though, bro. What if they don't make the middle Yes, rounds? it could be. <laughs> <laughs> then what? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. It could be. You're right. But you know what? I'd say he does play. I, I don't like I said, I don't give a fuck. Because I don't I don't depend on a guy like that to play for the team. Because he's had plenty of chances. And there's no reason for him not to. Because you know what? He could have played. Now he could have played and it could have been a different dynamic and you guys couldn't have done as well. But imagine if he played and you guys did make the final game. You know, and then you maybe even maybe you even win it. But, like, forget about if you win it. Like, he could have, like, for the tough year that he had as far as the media that he took, and now he said, you know what? Fuck all that shit. I'm not going to bury myself in a gym and, and cut everybody off and all that stuff. And I'm going to go out. I'm going to, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to man up on this shit. I'm going to fucking put, my, put this team on my back, even though he wouldn't have. But I'll put this team on my back, and I'm going to fucking kill it. I'm going to do it for my – I'm going to do it for my – forget about my, even my country. I'm going to do it for me. But like, I'm going to do it, you know, and I'm going to show people that I'm not a fucking, you know, that I wasn't this, you know, punk or something in the playoffs where I was afraid to shoot. You know what? I'm going to go out and be aggressive. He could have done that, but he didn't. And he didn't before that either. So like, I don't depend on him to play, but I think he does play because it's an easier draw to get to the final. Yeah. Fair enough. We'll see. We'll watch that space for three years. 
Next one. Yep. KD will suit up again in 2024. Fact. Um, I like this one because I think he I think he enjoys playing for the national team. It was the most relaxed I've seen him. Even, you know, him and Draymond Green uh, are going after anyone that doubted uh, Team USA. So, Draymond Green loves a screenshot and he's screenshotted everyone's shit talking when they lost that game <laughs> and he's reposting it all <laughs> on his social media. So, I highly recommend you jump on there. It's a, it's a fun read and he's just taking the piss out of all these talking heads on TV. But it just seems like KD has a genuine enjoyment more so than the NBA at times. Like, he just he just really looks like he enjoys playing for his country. So, I, I would say fact. I think um, he'll go down as a winning – here it is, the winningest. US men's player I believe so he'll be at a, you know potentially a chance for a fourth gold medal so I would say fact he will suit up again yeah I say fact I say fact it's just the guy wants to play any game anywhere any venue like he just loves to play like for all the shit that people give him about the Twitter stuff and burner account and all that stuff like the guy wants to play fucking anywhere like I remember meeting him when he was uh, when he was coming out for the draft. Uh, we went to EA Sports. I was with Julian Wright from Kansas, who was going to be a first round pick. They brought a bunch of those college guys: Joakim Noah, him, Al Horford, you know, Julian, and just like him working out in a gym at night. Like the guy just got after it every. Like I remember in the pre-draft camp, we got some gym in like off campus from Disney, and it's like him, Thaddeus Young, a couple other guys working out. I mean, the guy works out constantly, plays at Rucker Park, plays at, you know, all these runs. I mean, the guy just loves to play. It's, you know, he doesn't look the money and all that stuff that comes with it. Yeah, he obviously probably likes all that stuff, but the guy genuinely likes to play and you don't have to twist his arm anywhere. And I think what he's done for himself with these, you know, Olympic medals and all-time leading scorer and, and it was love for competition and winning. Yeah, I, I definitely think God for, you know, God willing he's healthy enough to play. I think he'll definitely play. Yeah, it's good for the game. So let's hope he does. It'll be towards the end of his career he could cap it off with hopefully more championships by then and and a gold medal. Let's finish off with a few Q&As out of Shitload of them coming this week, so I want to get to a few of them. We cut a few segments out to get to these. So, with the great start the Australians made in the first half, what would you have done differently before and after halftime to maintain the dominance, understanding there is only so long you can hold that amount of talent down? That's from Paul Cummins. So, for me, uh, you're right. That talent's going to eventually rise to the top. I would have just liked to have probably finished that first half better. Really had an emphasis on, on not not taking quick shots in the last couple of minutes of that first half, making sure you kept the, at least a 10, 9, 10, 11, 12 point lead instead of a three point lead. That helps your your, your psyche going into the locker room. And in, the, in the third quarter, I mean, uh, it's tough in FIBA. You only have three timeouts um, per half and I felt like we could have burned a timeout early in that third quarter when they went on that run and, and it went from us leading to being down eight or ten. I probably would have burnt one and, and got our guys a little settled just to burn it, get a reset. But other than that, there's, there's not a whole lot you could do. Uh, you know, Team USA, they're, they're the most talented team in the world. And I think, look, I think it in, in, in spurts, we got caught up in the Team USA style because uh, we play a similar style. We switch one through five. We push the tempo. And unfortunately, that's their strength. And it was our strength against every other team. But against the US, that's they're used to doing that on a daily basis. So, I think that kind of hurt us in the long run. I would have liked to have seen, which we actually ran in the bronze medal game, a lot more high post action to then go to a pick and roll. So, what that means is you throw it to Jock or Nick K at the free throw line, you run some cuts off. And then if you want to get to a pick and roll, they, they dribble towards half court and hand off. And then it's, it's actually starting a little bit flatter 
on the court rather than it felt like Team USA game, especially in the third quarter, a lot of our pick and roll action, a lot of our action to get to actions was above the free throw line, kind of close to half court and they pushed us out of all our shit. So that's when we turned the ball over and it just became a, a domino effect. So as you said, there's you know, you could make all those adjustments and still lose to this Team USA team. That's just the way um, the talent lies, but that'd be the, the things that I would change, bro. Yeah, I'm not much of a X and O's game plan kind of guy, but um, I'm a big simplicity guy with screening. And I think they, a lot of times you saw slips on pick and rolls. I think you could have done a little bit better job letting them feel you, you know, with your screening and hitting them and hitting them. And like, I always make the, and we're talking about with my friends and other colleagues and coaching, like I, I, with a, with a team like Australia playing in the United States, I sort of compare it to a boxer who's sort of playing an opponent that's, a little over, you know, overmatched. He's overmatched for that opponent. And instead of trying to knock him out in the first round, which that's not going to happen, you jab him and you body shot him, you body shot him and you body shot him. You let him feel you for 9, 10, let, let, let it go the distance. And I think the more you screen those guys, I know they switched a lot, but even just a hit on the screen and a run them through and let them feel you and let them feel you and grind them down, you know, the Lillards, the Bookers, the Durants, and let them feel you. You know, even though like they're going to switch and there's not much of an advantage, but like just hitting them and hitting them and hitting them a little bit more, letting them feel you a little bit more. I thought they sort of let them out a little easy on that, but like, I just don't think there's much they could have done. I think they would have made their runs anyways, but, um, that on a simple point, I mean, you're, you, you know, the game a thousand times more than I do, but that little thing, I'm a big fan of screening and I, I think that that could, that could sort of, put you in a position to overachieve if you do it well because you know again they feel you sometimes you 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 have some switching opportunities that happen because of it because of your good screening you could roll them into situations but yeah that's what that's the only thing i would have done you know like i said i'm not a game plan guy so i I don't really have much of an answer besides that yeah i think the baines the loss of baines probably affected that um he's our best screener and and He'll, he'll light you up. Um, the other problem is because US was switching one through five, I think we just kind of gave up on screening because we knew they were going to switch. So, we're just trying to slip and get out of it as quickly as possible. But I think you need a mix of it. When, when teams are switching, you need to set the screen kind of lower and, and then try to punish them that way. But Baines would have been a huge, huge acquisition even though they went small ball. I feel like if he's rolling down the middle and they're, they're putting Drew Holiday on him, Baines is a good free throw shooter as well. So then, then they're in a predicament of fouling Baines. Um, he's going to knock those two free throws down. So I think he was a big out in that USA game. But yeah, I mean, it's just one of those tough ones. Next one. Hi, Bogues and Pro. Can you go further into the boomers culture and possibly try to pin down what it means to play for your country? Is it because you can never quit and change teams like professional players? Is it because it's a dream early on for everyone who plays the game to represent the country? Today, we lost to the US, but I feel great pride in this team as a supporter. Here yourself Bogues and the most recent guests in Gaze and Longley talk about being a boomer it's obvious how much that team and culture means if you ever get sick of lockdown come up to Darwin we barely do them love the podcast from Dan um, yeah look the boomers culture is a unique one um, we there's a lot of history there there's a lot of great players that have come through and it's always just been team first for the most part you know there have been some some shades of a few guys that have come through and try to treat it as a you know for instance a guy that's a free agent doesn't have a deal in Europe or the NBL and wants to get his value up there that have been a few of those guys. I'm not going to lie, but not a lot. Then they're they're in the in the minority, and they get we, they get weeded out pretty quickly. So yeah, the national team. I think you make a valid point. You can't you can't just change countries. You can't <laughs> you can't have a bad tournament and be like, I want to trade or I hate this guy. You have to make it work. And 
are there guys on the national team that um, don't get along as well as they should off the floor? Sure, it's, there's, there's different personalities and that happens in all workplaces, but the difference is the understanding of, hey, we're not all going to agree on things off the court. We're not all going to be friends. We're not all going to have the same passions. One guy might like video games. One guy might like, we had guys that like playing checkers and, and, and then we had a game called drops, a gambling game. So, everyone did different things, right? And that's what you get to respect. So, once you put that aside, I think once we were in the locker room, team bus and all that, we were we were jovial everyone kind of some guys listened to music some guys made jokes and and it just was was normal and and we understood that everyone's different and from all walks of life and i think that's that's a culture within a culture you don't you don't want everyone that's the same it's boring and you don't want everyone that's the same just saying the same thing because it generally can be fake and you're just you're just trying to say the right thing and that's where that culture trumps it all you understand there's going to be indiscretions at times and guys that don't get along but for the betterment of the group you you put it aside for that one month or two months or three month commitment and you you try to win a gold so that's where 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 i see that dan pro you got anything on that you know folks the olympics i'll tell you it is a special thing you know yes playing for your country you grew up with it i don't care you know most kids just watch the olympics when they're 12 11 12 13 years old sometimes you you don't really understand it at first and it just grows into something that's special um what i love about the olympics i started in 84 watching a little bit and I've read the book recently in the last few years about the 84 draft. I think it's called 84 draft. And it, and it talks about the Olympics, um, the Olympic trials in 84 and all those great players, Jordan, Barkley, you know, um, Jordan, Barkley, Stockton, and just a, a slew of players that tried out for this team and great players from different parts of the country that had to unite into one team and put their sort of number one option all the time attitude aside a little bit and do what's best for the team. And, and it's not perfect. Some teams like 04 and some other teams weren't as good as it added than others were. 92 was obviously the, you know, just the, I guess, just the poster of it where you had so many great players that put all their egos aside and they had their winning ego for sure. And a competitive ego, but they played and they they took lesser roles to be on that team and to do what needed to be done to win. And yes, they were way overmatched with talent, no question about it. But to be able to do that in any country, it doesn't have to be the United States. I mean, Australia, those guys are number one options. A lot of those guys are number one options on their teams at home and you know, wherever they play. And now they gotta come together for the greater good to try to win a medal. It's a beautiful thing. Um, some people can't do it. Some people can't handle it. Some countries have good talent that really can't put it together because they can't get out of their own way. And to have a coach that leads them and to hold them accountable, to put them in situations to be successful. And somebody who could sort of, you know, you know those players could respect, maybe not respect fully, but at least their preparation and, and what they bring to the sport. It's a, you know, to have a culture like that is beautiful. Like, as you see, like you see some teams, you know, in, in professional leagues put quote unquote all-star teams together and they can't get it. They can't get it right because people can't put their egos aside. And I just think it's a beautiful thing for a country to do a national team that to be able to do. And just for the greater good, where most of those players that don't even play a minute or two minutes might play 30 minutes a night during their season, you know, during their professional team, wherever they play. And to be able to sit on the bench and play a, a very small role 
just to help them win is a is great to watch, man. No doubt, and that's a fun part of of people that support us. They understand it, and that's a fun part of being a part of it. So, look, we all have remnants, and we all have uh, fingertips, if not arms length, contact with all the boomers that just won the bronze, and and we all have had kind of influences of 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 getting them there whether it's one iota or 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 being involved with those teams or coaching those teams or even being a player in the 90s so everyone in the boomers programs utterly proud of of what's happened i think that's part of the culture as well next one g'day bugs throughout thoroughly enjoyed your work commentating the boomers olympic campaign great job with gazy and case on top of the commentary as a warrior fan living in australia having been a league pass subscriber for many a year now the temptation to switch commentary to the opposing side sometimes provides too much for many have you had any funny dealings with fitz that's um, bob fitzgerald who's the um the home announcer for the golden state warriors and were you inspired by some of the classic fitz commentary always seemed like he had a soft spot for the big australian i enjoy his constant bias and think he's a bit of a laugh but can completely understand how annoying he could be and side note he finishes with Bogues as a proud Melbourneian enduring the reign of the four-eyed monster which is our politician that keeps locking us down Daniel Andrews and over all of his shit it's refreshing to have someone your status sticking up for us all and not afraid to go against the norm appreciate you big time and hope to see you around the Kingston area sometime all the best mate great job with the pod Dale Foley so first off your last statement um, a couple lot of shit for calling out lockdowns but I, I grew up in a working class family and I would not have been or that my father would not have been able to put food on the table um, if we were living in this time as a mechanic because no one's getting their car service during lockdowns essentially so we would have been in some trouble and a lot of people say why do I care I'm a millionaire why do I comment about all this kind of stuff it's you know because I understand what it's doing to to the lower middle, middle class and there's people that you know pro if you're if you're a landscaper or, or you're a plumber or whatever you are you, you you can't do that work from fucking zoom at home on your computer so um, they're the people that are greatly affected, the people that run our society on a daily basis and do the hard things. They're picking up rubbish and they're cleaning laborious jobs, cleaners, whatever it is. Um, they're the ones that you know don't have the luxury of doing stuff from, from home. So, I'll always stick up for them and it just seems that most of the people that are cheering on lockdowns or thinking that, oh, it's not that bad. It's, we're in our sixth one pro, by the way. They've locked us down again here in Australia. We're, we're in number six and yeah, it's just, it's just a tough time. The people that usually aren't affected by it are business people that can work from zoom from their lounge room and i think it's just inappropriate for those people to be saying oh it's just it's a small sacrifice we have to make but anyhow as far as the home commentary stuff it is funny in the nba pro i'm sure you've you've heard it listening to league pass the boston guys are pretty pretty big homers as well um listening to home feeds and they have to be they're employed by the team i've had no issue with bob fitzgerald i can understand why people if you weren't a warriors fan would think he's a homer well guess what he is he's paid by the golden state warriors to put a good product out for our our team and he's going to be pro our team the other difference is if he's heavily critical of players and um, which has happened before some home home commentators have been critical of their own players they need to then see them on the airplane and the bus (laughs) every other day so they want to tread cautiously they have to they're, they're essentially around the team and on our flights they travel with us on the charter so that creates a bit of conflict of interest and you don't want to be shitting on a guy too much because he might pop up right next to you on the uh in the very <laughs> plain seat you're sitting in pro but have you have you had any funny stories with commentators or anything like that in your past we had a guy in boston bogues um, hall of fame player and coach tommy heinson uh he just passed away you know, not, uh, pretty recently and uh he was revered at, at, at boston big guy like I don't know, it had to be six, eight, six, nine, big guy. Loved Boston. I mean, was a Celtic through and through. And we played Phoenix, had to be like 2004. And they were fucking us on the calls. 
and he was killing him, like screaming, thought he was going to have a heart attack, the poor bastard. And he screamed so badly on the telecast. The uh, I believe the NBA suspended him for like a week. What? In two games and maybe even find the team or find him. No way, was, really? Yeah. Tommy Heinsohn. They suspended yeah, the broadcast. Yeah, he was fucking great. <laughs> Tommy Heinsohn was the all-time homer and all-time great. And he went nuts. It was. I, I'm almost positive it was the Phoenix Suns and it was like one of the last years I was with the Celtics. And, um, oh my God. Yeah. He fucking hated referees and he was fantastic. And, uh, yeah. So he got suspended. I think it was the, Fe- uh, the Phoenix game. I'm almost positive, but he, he always was for the home team. He, he was just, he was a special dude, man. And he got suspended. I forgot how long it was. I'll look it up after the, uh, after the, after we get off here. But yeah, it was, it was early 2000s when it happened. And he, again, he was, killing the referees like screaming and they're courtside they're you know they're right behind the scores at uh, the scores table doing the game and it got to a point where they had they had to suspend him it was pretty cool he was a good dude man you love the passion you love the passion of home home commentators and i can understand the other side if you're a neutral fan or a fan of the other team and that's the only feed you can get <laughs> it can be it can be a little frustrating they did a similar thing here pro in Australia with Australian rules football they had um there's a guy named Eddie Maguire and he's they call him Eddie everywhere and he um he does basically anything to do with football he's everywhere and then he started doing he was doing our version of who wants to be a millionaire and all those shows he's Eddie everywhere is his name for obvious reasons he's everywhere and he's the president of the Collingwood Football Club former president now one of the biggest football clubs here and there were always complaints about whenever he commentated their games that he was biased which he which he was a little bit but we don't have home feeds and away feeds in Australia. It's it's supposed to be neutral commentators for all games. So then um, on pay TV, they they made a, a there was a package called Press Red for Ed. So you could get you could get for any Collingwood game, it'd be just Eddie Maguire like Homer Homerisms commentating Collingwood games. So it was kind of a cool marketing thing they turned it into. But that's very similar to what they do in the NBA. It's it pretty much is a press red for red red for Ed for every home team because they you know they have to promote their own team. That's just the reality of it. But um, yeah, you ever rarely get home commentators shitting on their own players unless something drastic happens. But I have seen circumstances when it's happened, and I've actually seen circumstances where players have actually gone. You know, and, and mean mugged and staunched a few of the um the home commentators on flights and bus trips, or or, or dropped the comment like, you know, you better start talking shit about me, man, or some shit like that, and and then it kind of gets really really awkward. But that's uh that's a fun part of the N- NBA rodeo. This is the Heinsohn line right here. So Kenny Maurer, um, Paul Pierce got two teeth chipped and no call by Kenny Maurer. So on the air he goes, this Kenny Maurer should go home to his wife because nobody loves him here. <laughs> nobody here loves him. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tommy's the best. Tommy's the best. A little bit of banter, but I've I've never heard of a broadcaster getting suspended for criticizing. You've heard him for like saying something derogatory, racist, sexist, um, but not for just sure. going at referees and officials. <laughs> That's yeah, great. he's the best. He yeah, he's the best. So good. I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. What were you saying about radio or something? No, no, we're good. We're we're done. We're we're done. We're done. The episode 32 is. Done and in the books. Uh, once again, congratulations to the US, France, and Australian men's basketball. Actually, the, the women's game is going on right now. We'll give that a quick shout out. It's USA versus Japan. It looks like the US is going to win that one, but congratulations to Japan. They've um, really built their women's program up well in their own country, so a, a pretty special moment for them to get silver. At Rogue Bogues, on all your favorite platforms, we're on all pla- on 
all podcast platforms. We're on all social media platforms with the same name at Hoop Consultants for Pro. And we will see you next week. Thanks, bro. Yeah. And by the way, if anybody wants wife beater, Lawndale, San Antonio Spurs gear, I got it at pro.com with the mullet wig that you can get it for a set, a set deal. So if anybody wants that at a trailer park near you, we could definitely have that at pro.com. In a Spurs jersey, of course. Of course, in a Spurs jersey. Right. In a, jer- a Spurs jersey with pizza slices on it. See you next week. Later, brother.